Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. First, I just want to say thank you for rocking with me through the year of 2020. Coming into this year, I knew I wanted to do a podcast and I knew I wanted to bring on some great guests, tell some great stories, and that's what we did. We accomplished a lot of great things. And I just want to say thank you for listening to all the great stories. This is not over. We are still going. But this, this is the 2020 wrap-up show. And man, I have three great guests on to wrap up all of the sports of 2020. It is two hours of listening to sports talk about 2020 from the COVID, Kobe, NFL, CFL, NBA, all these different sports, Major League Baseball. We talk about a lot of the biggest things that happened in 2020. And we try to put 2020, put a bow on it, because I truly believe at the end of the day, we will look back on this year and we will be thankful for 2020 because it allowed us to set our feet. It allowed us to do the things that we needed to do to move forward in a proper way. But I will tell you this. We have lost a lot in 2020. I have personally lost a lot in 2020. You have lost a lot in 2020. So at this moment, I just want to take a moment of silence for all that we lost in 2020. I don't want you to think this is a time to give up. This is a time to move forward. This is a time to be more. Let 2021 be the year that is your comeback off of your setback. You know, if you look at the greatest stories in history, they were only great because of what they went through to get to that story. Right. In the middle of the story, somebody had to go through something. And then when they came out of it, they became so much more. That's what 2020 was. 2020 was that something you had to go through. 2021 should now be your focus on everything that you want to be, that you're going to be. And I just wish and pray. And I thank you, my listeners for this wonderful opportunity. And I thank you once again. This is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. This is the 2020 wrap-up show. It's been a great first year on the Lulu Logic Podcast. With this being my 62nd episode, I've had so many great guests on this year, and I'm joined today by a couple more TSN radio analysts, everything mo Khan, ceo of dupont media darren dupont and a former super bowl and great cup champ and head coach devon clay brooks what's up fellas how y'all doing doing Chilling. awesome <laughs> joining just hoping the new year gives us something new to look forward to <laughs> yeah we got two days left it's been a roller coaster of a ride in 2020 um we're going to talk about some main topics that happened in 2020. Clay, right before you jumped on, we were talking about something 
I just want to touch on real quick before we get started. P.K. Subban and Lindsey Vaughn break up at the end of 2020. Can two pro athletes, can they really have a long-term relationship? Or do you need somebody that's off of the field or the ice or whatever to be with? Nah, I don't. I, I just. It, I don't think it has a problem to do with athletes. I think it's, well, yes, yes, and no. The problem to do with athletes in the sense of, it's just two dominant personalities that have fought and strived and fought to be number one in whatever their respective field. You know, it's like that one percent of that one percent. How do you look at the other person at the one percent? Like, I mean, the competition. Like, who? Like. Well, who decides on dinner? Well, why does she decide on dinner? Why can't I decide on dinner? Like, I mean, when you peel back the layers of onion of a relationship and you don't know, like, it's tough to shut your ego off. I mean, you know, besides Mo, we've been all, besides Mo and besides Darren, we've been <laughs> half the panel that we have on right now. But, I mean, I'm just saying it's just, it's, it, um, but you make sure that you, you don't know how to separate the, the difference in who, like, Who's gonna have the remote in bed? You know, like the Olympic medalists or the, or the Olympic medalists or the NHL, you know, pro all pro. So like, it's like where where do you you have to have that compromise and you have to be willing to make those sacrifices and you know give and take. And it's just tough to shut off as an athlete to cut that to separate that church and state. Yeah, Darren, you brought up a good point on that as well. Well, yeah, and like I like what Devon said. It actually brought up something else too. Like, you know, you talk about the stars. It's so demanding to be a pro athlete or to be a movie star or to be a business owner to do all of these things. You're putting in 16, 17, 18 hour days. As a coach, you would know, right, Devon? And yep. and Nick, as a player, like you need a good teammate, right? I mean, you're not there all day. So if you want to have a family, you want to do all of these things. What if you're both gone for 18 hours a day doing your own thing, right? So I, I feel like that's an issue you need to have a good teammate that fills in your gaps and like my sister's gay right and she's married right and so the, the stereotypical like male roles female roles like that doesn't have to be a thing but Devon you nailed it like it is just simply things that need to get done who's gonna cook and clean and fix the house and Damn, carry yes. the remote and make the decisions right it's yeah. just like you need two people that fill the roles you can't have two people that want to do the same thing yeah look gents the way i see it is this alex rodriguez jennifer lopez that is the epitome of athlete and superstar right those are two alphas in their respective fields yeah but they also like i mean i don't i know who's in my idea i know who the mitch of that relationship is without a question so like <laughs> i'm sure when when jay when j-lo come over when if, if j-lo be like alex he'd be like Yes, man. Which way did it go? Which way did it go? Which way did it go? <laughs> but, but you know what, Devon? The, the way it is, though, right? It's it's by default the background that you are. Athletes kind of are in that. Hey, we got to date athletes because we know how it is. They know our lifestyle. We know their lifestyle, right? Movie stars with movie stars. So you sort of get segregated in that left world. And I think for PK Subban and Lindsey Vaughn, they went out for three years, right? It looked like they were having rose petals thrown at each other, left, right, and center. They're doing uh, social media videos on on IG and, and Twitter and the whole nine. And sometimes, guys, in life, we know, right, we've all been through relationships and whatnot. You run through a dry spell, and that dry spell kind of says, you know what, we're at that fork in the road. What do we do? And in this case, they probably said, you know what, 
let's go on to different directions and best of luck in future endeavors. And we'll talk at, at a future date. That's all. Hats off to the ones who can make it work yeah. like them, like, like, you know, with A-Rod and, and Jayla, like they're doing well. Obviously they've got a good understanding of who's filling what roles, but it's just, it's so crazy. Like if you're in media, for example, like, you know, we work when everybody else doesn't, you know, and, and in sports, you work when everybody else isn't, when the games are on and stuff. So they got to be okay with that. If they want to, you know, go out in the evenings or on the weekends or doing hockey games, you want to go to, you know, Mexico, Cuba, Dominican in the winter, probably not happening because my weekends I'm at the rink all winter. So you, you got to be on board with that. Yeah, that's tough. Relationships are tough. Really tough. In exact science. Let alone in the spotlight of, Everything you do is scrutinized. And then, like, okay, now you got to have this complete and uttermost, like, hell, most people that work normal nine-to-five jobs can't trust the old lady. But what happens when you have to trust, like, Lindsey Vaughn, where everybody's sliding her DMs every 20 minutes? You know what I mean? Like, it's it, it comes with the territory, but it's also that gift and curse, so to speak. It's like a Truman that show. That would mess me up, man, like, to see that. That would mess the guy up, right? Yeah, but it's like the Truman show, right? That, that, you know, you're in a bubble. Jim yeah. Right. Everyone's always watching you, what you do. What, what did Lindsey Vaughn have for breakfast? What did PK Subban have for a snack? Right. The, the workout videos, if you recall back in October, whenever it was, there was a video of The Rock, Lindsey Vaughn and PK working out. And people like, oh, my God, look how big The Rock is compared to PK. So, you know, these things here will always be <laughs> mitigated because people love that stuff, though. It's true though, right? We, we oh, love these things. It's it's salacious to us because we're trying to live that lifestyle that we know we'll never reach in terms of the status that there are as athletes and actors. But they put that on themselves. Like, I mean, like you like you don't have to be like, I don't have to post out my workout video with The Rock. I can, I can like there that are plenty true. of people that are so successful and are so familiarly non-dominant. Like they don't, you don't even know that they have a Twitter or they have this because they don't want it to affect their lives. I mean, you take like, I mean, I'm going way back here and showing my country heritage, but like Dolly Parton, like her husband, she's been married for like 65 years. Nobody knows who this dude is. Like you've seen like five Oprah's husband, but <laughs> Stedman. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like it's been 65, 65, you know, they've been married for 65 years or something like that. And, and they, and, but they also, he doesn't want that role. Like he doesn't have, no worry about being in the public spotlight. He don't go to no shows with her or nothing. He just accepts that and they and they make it work. So I think at the end of the day, it just really boils down to the two people and willing to make it work. I mean, I know that all my friends say they can make it work with Lindsey Ball, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this much. I'm going to take this time to say happy birthday to my wife. Happy anniversary. And we're going hey, on six years. Yeah, there you go. So, and off the year on the right notes. She's put up with enough of my BS when I was playing and, and coaching. So I'm glad that she's still around and still doing it today. But now we're going to transfer from relationships to death. Kobe Bryant. We started off this year in 2020 with the passing of Kobe Bryant. Does anybody remember where they were when they heard the news and what kind of effect that had on you? Yeah, I can tell you where it was. I was watching the Pro Bowl because the Pro Bowl just kicked off in the afternoon on the Sunday. And I was doing the foam roller from my lower back. And, and next thing you know, right, I go onto Twitter and I see TMZ, Kobe Bryant has passed away. And I was like, what is going on here? But the thing was, ESPN was holding off on trying to be the first to report it yep. because they always see media, and Darren knows, and Devon, you know, Nick, you know, 
you should be, you should have the right news, not the first news, right? In the case that yeah. it was, ESPN was holding back, holding back, and then finally Joe Tessitore said midway through the first quarter, hey, sad news to report, Kobe Bryant passed away, and that just floored me on how that played out for the rest of the day and for that entire week because that was Super Bowl week in Miami, and people left Miami to go to L.A. for everything that was going to be covered for Kobe Bryant's passing. Yeah, I was at my parents. I remember that. And the first thought when you see it on your phone is like, this is fake. Like, you know, you see those fake headlines, you know, Will Ferrell dies in a ski accident, right? And it happens often enough that you just think this can't be real. But I'm not a basketball guy, right? But you know the impact that the guy had. And when guys are gone like that, I mean, it just, it it gets you to your core, right? He's He's an influential guy just in the world, not just in basketball. Oh, well, I, I, I was, of course, watching football. That's uh, pretty much hey, the other, uh, everybody here that deal in media and sports, we probably were all watching football at that point in time. When, but, I mean, I remember looking up to Kobe, like even growing up as being in the same age and actually coming up through, like, I'm like, dang. I got to go the long route. He just goes right to the pros in high school. Here I am, uh, you know, you, here I am, a uh, 6'3", 210 pound running back going to college at 18. And here he is, he's going right to the pros. And you're, you're just fascinated by the, the, the journey and the path and where he was able to come and actually, you know, like, just like anybody, he had his pitfalls as a person and as, and, you know, did some stupid things. But I think that the Kobe Bryant, that we were able to get for these last couple of years when he finally got his stuff in order. He was a great mentor. Like, you know, you know that everybody has a history and past and he counted for that. He atoned for it. And I think that the good that he's done throughout the course and with the foundation and the things that he's laid and the things that he was able to lay, will make sure that his legacy lives forever. And I think that's probably one of the most important things with him as a whole. Yeah. I, I, wasn't I, I think, a, I think, for oh, Kobe, you guys, and there's a good book that came out by Jeff Perlman, which documents the Lakers of the 90s into the early 2000s. Kobe was an introvert, right? He yeah. was by himself. People, it was hard to get a feel on Kobe as a person, as an athlete, because he never really mingled with his teammates, never went down with them. Like how you guys would go out after a football game or, or post-practice, whatever it is. And people couldn't get a read on this guy. There's a part in the book where at All-Star Weekend 1998 in New York City, okay, he's in the elevator with Jason Williams, uh, the former New Jersey net player, not White Chocolate. And Donald when it Trump, the person. Williams goes to Kobe. Exa- yeah, exactly. And, and Kobe goes, sorry, Williams goes to Kobe. Hey, Kobe, how you been, man? Gives him a pat on the back or a handshake, right? Kobe brushes him off. So Jason's like, what the bleep? He's about to knock him out. And who saves him? Donald Trump. He puts his back towards Williams and takes Kobe out of the elevator and goes, Kobe, get out of here, man. You don't want to get your butt kicked by Jason Williams right now. That was, that was the thing, right? Kobe was a guy that his persona, even though he was trying to be Jordan, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And it was sort of like a prisoner of his own mind, right, guys, where he tried to emulate Jordan in every way, how he conversed, how he played, how he was on and off the courts. And that kind of cost him, right? Because people found him to be very like stand off, you know, stand office in the way he was. And then, as Devon made the point before, towards the end of his career, into his post basketball career, he became more likable because he understood, yeah. like, I need to be much more personable as a as a human athlete. I, I never was a big Kobe fan. I never was a big Michael Jordan fan. 
always respected the way they compete. You're like not- the Mavericks, nigga. You, 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 we can't even touch the basketball. You like the Mavericks, dude. It's a ball bag. Like, we're going to finish in the top four this year. <laughs> hey, but, you know, I, I didn't re- – I respected Jordan. I respected Kobe. I'm not a LeBron James fan, but I respect LeBron. But there's just something about Kobe. I watched his last game when he scored 60. And I cried when I watched him score 60 because you could see his teammates carrying him off the court. You could see him going. He had only been playing 17 minutes a game that year. So it was like he was just holding on. But to go out there and score 60 in a game and go to overtime against the Jazz and play 40 minutes – like you could tell his body was saying no and he was still going out there competing, right? And to me as somebody that's always been a competitor, that meant something to me, that I got to witness that that greatness and what we all achieve or we all aspire to be in whatever realm it's in. That was the day that changed me to Kobe forever. And then everything that he did after with women's basketball and doing those things, he – now, it just came out this past week that uh, he was coming out with a shoe line, the Mamba shoe line, where the guys would actually own their own shoes, right, instead of it going to the major companies like Nike and everybody else, right? So his impact was only growing. But then we go back and look, Kobe growing up, they said Kobe used to always say, I want to die early so I can be immortal, Right. I don't know if you heard that, but Kobe used yeah. to always tell people that, like, I want to die early so I can be immortal. And it's only fitting that when everything happened now, they, they looked at retiring 24 out of the NBA. Right. So this immortalizes Kobe. And it's unfortunate that he passed away. But so many great things that he'd done while he was here. And like Clay said, it, he did have his troubles. Right. We all have to go through our issues to be able to to define who we need to be for the moments we need to be there. I mean, that just, but everybody has issues and skeletons. It's just that when you're one of the best basketball players ever to play the game, you're kind of on a different microscope or microcosm than, you know, the skeletons in our closet. I'm sure if they look at, I'm sure if you look at anybody's browser history, they're going to wish a few things they wish they had deleted. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Better be on incognito. <laughs> <laughs> CFL.ca. <laughs> CFL.ca. <laughs> and then we go from uh, Kobe. I think. Oh, go the, ahead. Go ahead. The the big thing it does for me, like. Wait, you got to let Darren speak, man. What you doing? <laughs> Say, go ahead. I, no, I think this is the last thing. It's just no matter how immortal somebody might be, no matter how their status might be, it just reminds you that it's short. We're all, you know, nobody's untouchable, and it just makes it real, right? Yeah, it does. But now let's let's transition to, like Mo brought up earlier. Super Bowl was the week after Kobe's death. Andy Reid finally gets over the hump. Pat Mahomes wins his first Super Bowl. What was it like when going into the Super Bowl of last year? Can you remember 2020 Super Bowl since we're so close to 2021 Super Bowl? Like going into that week? Of course we know. Yeah, going into that week. When it kicked off and everything. (laughs) (laughs) It it was was the last major sporting event, right? Before COVID kicked everyone's ass. Yeah. Right? 
And then, I'm like, sure all of us were with friends and family watching the game, and that was pretty much the last time we're in a big congregation of, of human bodies in one room. Yeah, well, going back to that playoffs, like they were down by double digits in both games. I think they were down like 24 nothing to or 21 nothing to the Texans, and then they were down to Tennessee, I believe it was, and then they came back in both games. Just talk a little bit about Pat Mahomes last year and and or this year, earlier this year and being able to get over the hump, and Andy Reid being able to get over that hump because the last time he was in the Super Bowl was with Philadelphia against the Patriots. I mean, it's Mahomes, right? It's I go back to the game against Tennessee when he broke off the long run. on th- I think it was third down, too. Yeah. And it looked like they were going to have him stop. He broke it off for a touchdown. That changed the complexion of the game, right? And you go back to his draft here. I mean, it was – not Patrick Mahomes is going to be your franchise quarterback. He's unreliable. He's got the big arm. He's got the the legs. But can he turn a franchise around? Whatever connected between him and Andy Reid, that's taken him to the next level. And I wonder about that often. You guys know as football guys. But I always think about staying in positions of strength. I look at Arthur Smith in Tennessee, right, as being a head coaching candidate. Well, when he becomes a head coach, he's probably not calling plays anymore right? Which is what he's been really good at. And does that mean Tannehill's not going to have the same value? Well, it's the same thing, you know, Mahomes and Andy Reid. There's just a relationship there that just seems to work for both those guys. And that was pretty well, special you gotta, to watch. You're leaving out, you're leaving out a key cog in that, and that's uh, the offense coordinator. That's and, right. and, and I think that uh, wow. by personally being able, to walk, been able to walk through that walk and been, been in a path I think that you understand that, that it's all – what players have to, the toughest time to swallow, and Nick can attest to this because he probably – he definitely doesn't miss, and I'm speaking ahead. But a lot of a lot of players get – what makes Patrick Mahone unique is that he understands that it's not just him. Yes. He understands that it's uh, – I'm, I'm a key cog in this. Andy Reid's a key cog in this. Kelsey's a key cog in this. The receivers are a key cog in this. The defensive guys – so how do I help and how do we win and win all together? Yeah, I might be in the front of this. I might be in the front staring this ship, but if it's all about everybody's horsepower. And he understands that at a young age where a lot of kids are coming in and they just worry about their brand or they're worried about, you know, the new car they're getting. He came in with a mature mindset. And I think that, that it's, he got that instilled from him from growing up. And also I think, you know, Cliff Kingsbury did a good job on him. And at Texas Tech, you know, he was he had been a pro quarterback himself. He understood the pitfalls. And I think that the kid, because it boils down to the kid, because you can have uh, for every one of those, you can have a Johnny Menzel that don't take it seriously. Or you can have, you know, even now the Wayne Haskins yeah, that we yeah. have now that are, you know, that perceive not to take it seriously. So that was one of the crazy parts. I don't mean to jump subjects about the whole Booger McFarlane thing, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> But with with the mental makeup and the mental psyche, I think that that is what the difference is. Is he's not out here trying to sow his oats. He's not out here trying to floss. I mean, he's doing everything right. He reminds you of like the way LeBron came in, and you know everybody was waiting for LeBron to have that letdown, and he just kept performing. He kept performing. He stayed his course. He stayed true. He stayed what it's believed and values. And Patrick Mahomes, I think, is doing the same thing. But he's also understandable that you know. Just like all you got, all of us have been done radio and stuff. It's not the guy who you see on the front of the camera that makes it work. It's that damn producer who's in my ear telling me that, 
you know, we need to move on to this topic or we got this guest lined up or that or that, who never gets any credit for the show, but who makes the, the show run and who makes the show transition smoothly. And I think that he understands that even though he's the first guy you see in the chair, but he understands that he's got a co-host, he's got a director, he's got an executive producer, and he's willing to play his role and he's not trying to do too much and he's just trying to help him win. Guys, think about it, right? When he was at Tech, the quarterback room was who? Kingsbury, the head coach, yep. Baker Mayfield, Mahomes, and Davis Webb, yep. right? Mahomes gets drafted, Mayfield left, went to Oklahoma, Webb got drafted. So three quarterbacks that were in the same quarterback room is quite a rarity, right? We never see that happen, but that happened at, down, in the, down in Texas Tech. But the thing is for him, I liken the Chiefs to being the Golden State Warriors. That's what they are for the NFL. Like, when they feel like playing, they can drop 40, 50 on you and win by 100 million points, right? When they're down by 20, they turn it on and do what they have to do. What Mahomes was, guys, is that he landed in the right system. Strong coaching staff, strong room. Who was the quarterback before him? Alex Smith, right? Alex Smith taught him the rules of engagement, what to do in the situation, right? Just imagine if Mahomes went to, say, Cleveland. Talks to them before, right? Goes to Jacksonville, a dump. Maybe he's not throwing these video game numbers that we're seeing for him this, these last few years. And for him to do what he's done is remarkable because, guys, in the world that we're in right now, Patrick Mahomes is an alpha talent, a generational talent that we've not seen from the quarterback position since who? Peyton Manning. That's almost 20 years ago, guys, that we've, we've yet to see that. But for Mahomes to do what he's done in that environment with Andy Reid being the head coach, Eric Bami being the OC, as Devon made the point before. It has all worked together. The symmetry is all there. And now as you move towards these next two, maybe three years of prosperity, you got to cash in now, guys, because at some point, all these guys are going to get older and they're going to want to have their own big dollar deals. And that's right for Mahomes. Taking a little bit less in terms of the yearly average may help the Chiefs go deeper and deeper the next couple of years. Are they the new Patriots for the next 10 years? Are they going to be the dynasty that's – that wins most. Can they win more than three in the next ten, next seven years, ten years? I mean, Nick, you've been on probably, arguably, in your head at least two or three of the top teams in the CFL ever in your mind that that didn't that didn't win a championship. You know what I mean? So, like, are we equating his greatness on him winning championships? Or are we doing it number wise, statistic wise? It's just so hard to fathom, and you also have to remember that. With this day and age in salary cap, it's so hard to have a dynasty because, you know, Tyreek Hill is going to want to get his money. Kelsey just broke the tight end record for receiving yards, so he's going to want to get – even though he's making good money, he's going to want to get broke off again. Now that you're putting up those numbers, your O-line is going to want to make money. So in a cap-structured league, you have to think, there's only room for so many elite players on a team to make money because you got to – like, that's where the Patriots fell off because you don't have – the elite enough talent around anybody. Like, I mean, you can talk all the shit you want about Cam Newton. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Ain't that what a famous line said? <laughs> like, yeah. Casey Printers. Casey Printers. <laughs> Casey Printers. Yeah. Casey Printers. And so with, with that said, you can't, you can't really actually fathom that because Mahomes was coming off a rookie deal, but you got to think all those other receivers like Hill, um, number 17, those guys are still in their, those guys are still in their first year, their first contract. So now, when they get into their second contract, is where the issue is going to come in. Now, am I going to instead of making 15, 16 mils, the elite receiver, am I going to be cool with making ten? 
You know, like, am I going to make that sacrifice when the quarterback's making 45? Like, I mean, those egos come, those egos come in. And then once you won, Nick, you know, you won championships. You know, what's when crazy. What do you now, what do you, what do you go for now? Like you go to win championships, you go to have a legacy and you go to win games and be great. So now I've won the championship. Now I want to stack my bank, just like a monopoly. I want to stack my bank. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's what, that's what you're going to run into. Cause those kids, if, if they win this year and they go back to back, then you like, what is there left for me to prove? Cause you got to go in this day and age. It's time to go get paid. Yeah, you want to be the dynasty, but I doubt it. I doubt if it happens because you're going to have to do a hell of plug and play because you're going to have to find new alignment because they all going to want to get broke off and it ain't but so much money in the salary cap. Where do you right. get the money to? Before you go, Darren, hey, Darren, before yeah. you go real quick, something I just thought of. In the NBA, veterans will go to those teams with LeBron, with Steph, with KD to tag along to try to win a ring. That doesn't happen in football. You don't see vets going to the you're, best you're, teams. You're talking about the Buccaneers, though. 53-man roster. Yeah, like, that's, I mean, that's so true. That's huge. Like, I mean, that's five people. We feel like we're friends, but you got to get along with another 53 people on the team. <laughs> like, I mean, I, you're only 13, 14. I think, what is it, 13, 12 on an active and three on your practice roster on an NBA team or something similar to that. So, like, yeah. you're almost like – that's just one side of the football. Yeah, that's true. Go ahead, Darren. No, really. Like, and Kansas City did it for one year. You mentioned Sammy Watkins, who was kind of an emerging, you know, star when he was in Buffalo, right? And you got Tyreek. Now you got the two guys in the backfield. I mean, Hilaire's out, the rookie, but you got Travis Kelsey, you got Mahomes. It's a lot of guys to try and manage those relationships. But who is the, like, there was only the one constant in, in New England, right? Brady. Brady. Right? Brady Belichick. Again, it's relationships, right? Everybody wants to be the star, make the money, get the football, but you can't satisfy three, four, five, six, seven stars over a 20 year span, right? Yeah. So they're cycling guys in and out to the system, all centered around, you know, one guy, maybe two if you look at Edelman, right? So do you think they can do it? You think they can win? Who's going to be the guy? You think they you know? Mahomes and, and Reed. Reed pretty much says he's there with Mahomes. So right. at least for the next five years. So who's the guy for Mahomes? Is it Tyreek Hill that could maybe Kelsey. be the second star? Kelsey. Kelsey's gonna be thirty years old now, right? He's gonna be thirty-one next year. But he's not exactly. any but younger know, guys, right? But we know you can play until you're thirty-five, forty now. Uh, with guys yeah. working out all year round, Travis Kelsey showed no signs of slowing down. And even Gronk, I mean, Gronk had a history of injuries, and Gronk is still effective. One year off did so much for Gronk, but now you look at Travis Kelsey, unless he has knock on wood a catastrophe catastrophe and just have this injury that changes his course then I believe Travis Kelsey could be if not the best a top five tight end for the next five to eight years that's all fine and dandy but what do you he can't throw the ball from his back so you got this O-line is getting all this pub and they they've got two or three they're rated one of the top O-lines besides Green Bay and in and, and most positional groupings, when you rate O-line, you're rating Kansas City, Green Bay. And so when you're thinking about it from that perspective, all the – like I'm just saying the salary cap is only so much of the salary cap. But they're you know, moving. Like, when you're, yes, but okay, but you're flux, but that's where it comes into of your fluctuate. What are your key centerpieces that you're going to be able to build around and why? Like, okay, am I going to sacrifice 
two O linemen for Tyreek Hill to keep him there for another two to three years? Or am I going to, what is my philosophy as far as how you, because like what a lot of people misinterpret is Andy Reid didn't build the team the way the team has evolved. Like the team, the team has evolved into that. He didn't, this, the team wasn't doing similar numbers like this when Alex Smith was there. They opened it up. They were more of a grounded pound. And they was and when he first got to Kansas City, he was leaning on people, running that thing and 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 that type of thing. And then as he finally like I and I love Andy Reid as a coach because he's a true testament of you take the tools you have and you make your scheme suit those tools. And he's a true testament to that. But like so where's the evolution and and they barely won one in this evolution in the last three years with the emergence of Mahomes. So you know how many things have to go right to win one Super Bowl or one championship? Yeah, let's not forget it, guys. Two or three? But let's England, not forget, guys, we're going to have a flat line cap for the NFL, right, this right. year. So yeah. so guess what? Your, your pot of money shrinks. And you guys know, Devon, you know, Nick, you know, yep. Darren, you know, following football, that, as we said before, right, money is going to dictate because, remember, football is a cold-hearted business. And, Devon, you know, you know Mark Trestman has that line, right? Yep. What's the line? Football, you might love football, but football doesn't love you. Everybody yeah. loves football. Football loves no one. Exactly. And, and when you look at all those guys – and that's why they have a two-year window. This year, probably next year, maybe in two years, who knows? But the reality is with a flatline cap for the NFL, there's not going to be as much money to work with to say, well, we can keep player A, B, C, and D and get rid of X. But guess what? Now with this new cap, we might be able to keep A and B, and that's it. So you got to really draft well. And that's what the Chiefs well. have done very well these last yeah. four five you gotta years. You got to develop well. And yeah, you develop well. And let's not forget John Dorsey – who was a former Chiefs uh, GM and former Browns guy, he has helped and, and lay Green down Bay. the foundation for those two franchises. Yeah, yeah. and Green Bay. Yeah. Dorsey yeah. brought me to Green Bay. There you go. Yeah. Exactly, right? And look what happened Green Bay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, New England, their receiving core was like 25th highest paid. They never really paid receivers beside Randy Moss, right? So you, you look at what they were able to do with what they did offensively to build the defense. New England built their success around a defense being able to stop people and Tom Brady being able to work with less. We've seen that Mahomes can work with a great cast and and have to outscore people because the defense can't stop people all the time. So we know that's got to come back more towards the center of putting more pieces on the defense and less pieces on the offense. And Mahomes has to get to that because I believe there was a five-year run where guys that made under 20 – quarterbacks that made under $25 million or uh, was in their first contract ended up having better teams. And that's just due to being able to spend money in other places like you're like everybody's saying. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic going forward. I mean, you got to think anybody – just for a perfect example, the only reason that they were able to get Hopkins in Arizona was because Kyler Murray was on a rookie contract. So, like – that is that is where you're gonna have these tit for tat, and then you even think like New England. You think about New England right now, like you think New England right now. New England, he's talking about how shitty they are, but like if you think about it, wasn't he in charge of the cap? Like it was Belichick's. And did Belichick show like he's been the guru and the the goat for all these years? But how do you mismanage it to where when you lose one key piece, i.e., Tom Brady, that you completely go to shit? Yeah, but Devon, let's not forget, they've been terrible at drafting, right? For they sure. haven't For sure. in the last 10 years. I don't know if you guys saw that stat on, on Monday Night Football or whatever game it was that they were on primetime wise. In the last 10 years, right, from 2010 to present day that we are, 
they have had they've drafted like a thing like five or six receivers. Yep. None are still on the current team. None ever hit a thousand yards in their career per season. It's been a terrible gong show when it comes to drafting in New England. And what Belichick does so well, guys, is that he always finds that guy on their last legs in their career and signs that guy, Corey Dillon, right? Uh, Rodney Harrison. Uh, we can go through the current guys that were Rod playing Wilson. the last three Lombardi rings. Yeah. And he goes, look, you give me these next 17 weeks plus playoffs, I'll get you that ring. And they do that, and he wants the next. It's a conveyor belt to try and find that that guy on his last legs, chip on his shoulder, to prove a point that I can win Lombardi. With he tried team. it with Antonio Brown, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he tried it, for sure. <laughs> then, after they win the Super Bowl, we're going to the NBA and NHL playoffs and the Utah Jazz. Plays a joke. What are, are you, are you really, Do you really bring up the Utah Jazz? That's almost talking bringing up the Mavericks. Now he, I'm Nick talking knows about Rudy why. Gobert. Nick knows why. I'm talking about Rudy Gobert playing the joke, coughing in all the mics, touching all the mics, playing around. Next thing you know, he tests positive for coronavirus, and everything shuts down. That was, was the first domino to fall, though. That was the first domino. It was, and MLB was just about to start. What was your first reaction when you heard sports were shutting down? Darren. I mean, I, my first thought was, yeah, okay, they're going to push pause for the weekend, right? Get this, <laughs> get, this, get this sorted out. We'll be back on Monday, right? Like, that's kind of what you thought, right? And then it goes on day by day, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And, you know, it, man, that feels like that feels like five years ago, right? If you go back to March, middle of March when it happened. But, yeah, my first thought was, yeah, okay. Like this is a big deal, but they'll just make sure this gets figured out, and we'll be we'll be back in a week, right? Yeah. I didn't I didn't anticipate nobody anticipated it was going to be ten months. Yeah, I so, was like, there's no way it's going to touch the CFL season. No. Yeah. Yeah, no chance. But I'll, I'll tell you where I was. I, I actually I actually had a different take and different outlook. I thought it was coming and it was coming in hard and hot. Like I was like, we about they about to shut shit down for a while. I just had because nobody was taking it seriously from the get-go. And I and I just know how stubborn we are as a society, especially in Western cultures of trying to tell people what to do. Like I remember playing in Japan in 2002 or 01 and 02. One of those, we played the I was with the Bucks and we played Japan. In, I mean, we played in Japan the Jets in a preseason game. We were over there for a week. And it was guys on the subway with masks on back then from SARS and all that stuff. So I'm like. We way behind on the time. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you this though. I, I, I can tell you where I was when this went down, right? I was covering the Montreal Canadiens practice, and the Canadiens had a trip to California lined up. So Shea Weber, a couple guys came out. And this is when they start to put the parameters in place. Say, hey, no more locker room access. Uh, we're going to have them now on a podium. And this is before everything went to Zoom, right, guys? We're still in a small room, uh, Mike's hands, everything within, you know, literally a finger's uh, space of each other. And Shane Weber saying, listen, we're going to go to California and play these games. We don't know what's going to happen. And guys, if you remember, COVID really began in the States in Seattle. And then California became a hotbed. Uh, and I said to myself five months after that day, I said, my God, just imagine the Habs or any NHL team that was playing in California, NBA team included, what could have been? Like that could have been a complete disaster of hell for those athletes who had to go through that. And when Gobert did what he had to do, 
bam, it was done. It's the wrap. We're done with sports for who knows how long. And thankfully came back in the summertime, but guys, we're all sports guys. We had nothing for four months and yeah. it, it really, it cost us a lot financially, right. To work, cover, whatever we do and not be in that environment that we all love to be in. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of coverage of anything because you realize that like, I think Netflix capitalized, they got 12 million more, more people that got accounts. I mean, I was one of them. <laughs> But you you look Look at at it. You should have just called and got Nick (laughs) login. But you look at this whole situation, and I think I'm on the same boat as y'all guys, except for Clay. Is like, I'm looking at this like, okay, well, they're going to shut stuff down for a little bit. But I go back to December and January. I'm watching videos of people in um, Asia, and they're locked down. And all the stores are shut down and Americans are trying to get home. And they're like, I just want to get home. I want to get home. This is miserable. People are dying left and right. They're finding people dead. And and I'm thinking like, well, that's over there. That would never happen here. I was so naive to think like, okay, that's happening over there. That's not going to happen here. And then here it comes. Like we went to Arizona in February and then like two weeks after we got back when everything started kind of shutting down and I guess I was just way too naive about what was coming and I was disappointed I was like I was heartbroken because I was like this is the first time I've been fired in my life I get I and I'm still getting paid so I'm about to go on a sports world tour I'm going <laughs> to every event I'm going to this this and this and this I said man I'm the one it would be the time that I could take this trip. Like I was even, I was even my feelings a couple of days ago when Seattle was playing right before Christmas. I was like, man, I was supposed to be there. No kidding. <laughs> Nick, I remember the video. There was a video from Italy and when it got really bad in Italy and was it was literally somebody walking in the streets and there's the military with their guns out being like, where are you going? What are you doing? You need to go home. And it was like in complete military lockdown. But I had the same thing. I'm like, that's nuts. But like, that's not going to happen here. Yeah. And I mean, we're not there yet. Okay. But. I I want I want I want to. I'm sorry. I'm put my host hat on for all you hosts. Over there. <laughs> Everybody but, hosts. Uh, we're good. <laughs> so my, question to, my question to you guys are is 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 a very simple one. Do you think? And you know, Nick and I are both fake Canadians, but Americans, and you guys are both Canadians. And do you think that the Western countries, i.e., because I think Trump dropped the ball on it, but do you guys think our handling per se as Switzerland, Austria, like a lot of other countries have been able to move past it? Now, I get that you always say because it's 350 million people, it's 35 million in Canada, so there's a lot of people on the North American side. But in retrospect to the way the handling of other countries handle it, how do you think that our country's compared rank and why you want me to go first Darren? Or you want to go first? yeah go ahead go for it uh like they they, they did a double doink off the uprights the, the Americans, <laughs> right i mean laces I, out I dan think, <laughs> yeah you know but like i think in our culture right canada america mexico everything on this side of yep. the hemisphere uh, we look at we look at america as being the the lead horse right that sets the tone for the race and when president trump didn't really embrace okay we need to temper things down 
his followers are like, well, he's not wearing a mask. Well, he's not doing it. Let's continue on, right? We, we saw a spring break in Daytona Beach going at, at a rapid fire, right? People are going about with their business. And then when we hit April, May into June, and holy bleep, it's starting to become a, a wildfire of cases. All these people who are like, well, Trump didn't do it. I'm not going to do it. They're like, well, listen, we're not going to do it now. Why should we conform to wearing a mask? Why should we conform to staying at home, be draconian pretty much with the lockdown? And that pretty much sent this into a into a directionless like a directionless shift of where it's supposed to be at this point now, and I think it cost America probably six months. But in those six months, it cost him a lot of lives, and that's the biggest downfall for Trump that he didn't take this on head on and curb it down. Hopefully, but now it's not the case for America. It's not like I remember, like I got some friends in New Zealand, and like they knocked the, they locked the whole island down, like the border down. Nobody's coming in and out. But inside, it was kind of like, okay, go do your thing, right? But they locked the border. So if, you're, if your area is clean, and now New Zealand's great, right? They don't yeah. have to wear masks in the grocery store. They can have you know fans in the stands at events and things like that. But they locked the country down. No visitors and no leaving. And I mean, it comes back, I think, a little bit to Nick and I talking about you know, what we see overseas. There's a little bit of that entitlement of like, it's not going to happen to us. And like... Yeah, I'll wash my hands, but you're not going to tell me I can't go here or see this person or that person or not go to work or right. There's a little bit of that. Rebellious, Western culture has a rebellious nature in in general underlying. Hundred percent. Totally. And and I've seen That's it true. as I seen it as the the first time that we seen social media be something that it was it was never it was almost like you know, all the drugs in the world were created for something good. It gave you a voice, but now social media became memes of whatever you wanted to be, but you didn't know where that meme came from. You didn't know who created the meme. And it was about your side and your point of view. So you posted it and you said this and it created a divide. And I think social media created the biggest divide in the US. On top of that, you have Donald Trump that it became political. When people lose money and his people are losing money, he understands this is now a political opportunity for him to get people back to work, people back to this. When he created a task force, he put Vince McMahon and Dana White on there. Think about it. Who puts the two people that have the two of the biggest businesses that are fan interactive and fans in the stands? In a single, like football, you have owners. Dana White owns the whole UFC. Vince McMahon owns all of wrestling, right? They are on his task force to get things moving again, to get people back making money, to get things done. And it became more about money than about people and health. But I think that social media was the ultimate divide. And I think that's where the biggest issue lied was no matter what you went on, I, I couldn't even go on Facebook anymore because every time you went on Facebook, it was a meme about this or a meme about this or a meme about this. And it was just a divide. It just, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now you have this divide that you can't repair because social media is in the middle. And we've, we've all consumed just enough content. We all have just enough knowledge from all the content that we've consumed that we have enough legal jargon in here that we can justify our actions we got enough you know emergency room info that we can you know understand how the d disease spreads or how we think it does to justify 
getting together on Christmas or traveling <laughs> to the United States or, you know, the charter of rights and freedoms, why I don't have to wear a mask and right. And it's part of that rebellious nature that, that Devon talked about. But think, yeah. think about it though, right guys, we, 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 we've launched sports and COVID together, right? Yeah. The biggest loser in the last 12 months has been the city of Tampa because they would have WrestleMania, which is a huge boon for any city hosting a WrestleMania. Yeah, sure. And where is the Lombardi game being played this year? Tampa. Tampa, Florida, right? So Tampa, in the span of 10 months, would have made industrious amount of money if it was a normal world. And they're going to lose out on the two biggest North American sporting events that is going to be huge. And now they don't have that anymore. So that's why, like Ron DeSantis from the governor of Florida, He's like, let's get things rolling again, right? Well, you can't. People are and sick. a Stanley Cup champion. Exactly, on top of that, right? And the Tampa Bay Rays on top of that, right? But the problem is, and Devon, you lived in Tampa. You know how that city works. You know how that market works. If you have that sporting event going on, and people love going to Tampa, right, for Super Bowl week, because it's a big party town, think of how much money was lost for that full week for the Super Bowl coming up and for WrestleMania that would have been, that would have been a five-day event from Thursday to Monday to Tuesday of that whole window of wrestling going on. Yeah. Well, my, my question, uh, what about with the rapid tests and things that you have in this nature now and with the vaccine, why couldn't, why couldn't it be a suitable plan of uh, explanation of saying that if you wanted to go to a sporting event, we factor in 20 more dollars. I know that probably 85% of all sporting fans would pay the extra 20 bucks to take a rapid test on Thursday to go to a game on Saturday. But they've implemented that in Europe, right? For European football, European right. soccer. You, you put it on your ticket. Why yeah, wouldn't you put it in the ticket cost? Right. Exactly. But again, I, I bring it back down to this entitlement. I see this everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Whether it's minor hockey, you know, the leagues, you know, not at the pro level as much, but it's okay. Tell me when we can play the way we've always played, not putting in the work to come up with a plan to play around this time. Like, I, I, we've seen it in the junior hockey leagues where they've said in this province, in Saskatchewan, you can play up to 50% capacity. They had said that. But the problem with all the rinks in the small towns are for one, for one community, that's 800 people. For the other one, it's 500 people. For the other, it's 1,000, right? And they said, well, if they can have 1,000, we want 1,000. Right. You know, not taking that this seriously enough and, again, coming at everything with, the, with this entitlement that, well, no, we want to be able to play the way we always have and make our money the way we always have and not being creative and understanding we're in a global pandemic and we have to adjust here. The NHL, the NBA, they've adjusted. The NFL, they've adjusted, right? Yeah. I know you want to talk maybe about the CFL or about junior hockey or other, you know, things that haven't been able to work. They haven't really adjusted. Well, the reason it's kind of a simple equation when you have, you're just looking at the money you're willing to spend and the money you're willing to eat. I mean, you think the NBA has trackers on every player and every media family they, they come in contact that's in their original bubble. So, and they have trackers on them. So that system in itself is a multi-million dollar system, which would eat up a junior hockey budget and would definitely crush a CFL budget. So <laughs> when you factor when you factor it in from those aspects, it's about it's, a, it's one of those things where, yeah, we can make a car indestructible, but really is it profitable for us to do that? So, yeah, we could play a game safely in Canada. We can play a junior high game, but it's really 
feasible financially for us, the monetary wise, we might as well just bite the bullet and just eat it and just not do it. It's better. And I think that we got the people that suffer the most is really the fans in a sense, because I mean, they're the ones, you know, and they do drive it and they're the ones that are your working class. You don't know, like most pro athletes don't have to deal with, you know, not, not being ready or prepared for COVID or not having to worry about losing their jobs and those type of things. I mean, here we are talking about ticket sales and they're, you know, they're over fighting over $1,400 in a stimulus package tick check. And it just puts things in perspective. And that it's so funny as own businesses in the States, I get to see it from both sides and in Canada. So I get to see, you know, how the Canadian government has, you know, like, for example, if you you if you get if you suspect you're sick and you even if you're getting unemployment or even if you're still working and you suspect you're sick and you got to stay home, the Canadian government gives you 500 bucks for that week. You can get it up to 24 weeks. Like you know, what I mean, just simple things like that where they're giving you an extra two thousand dollars because you're suspected sick. We're in the U.S. We can't even agree on giving them six six hundred or two thousand. And I'm like, really, in the grand scheme of things, you have people that have seven figures in the bank deciding the outcome of people who have nothing in the bank. But think about it, Devon, right? What is the biggest thing for owners, right? Uh, having fans in the arenas and stadiums is key, right? But where they make their biggest profits, what? Beer sales? Let me buy a Nick Lewis jersey. Let me buy a, a bobblehead. Let me buy some hot dogs. That's where they make the money. Parking, that's where they make the money. That's why owners want to have fans back in there because, yes, you want to be able to have some sort of revenue coming by your way, but where they really make the killing is the extras, the beers, the hot dog sales, uh, right. buying a poster, buying a jersey. That's where they make the killing. And that's why owners are kind of like, well, look, I'm not too sure if I'm going to spend X amount of dollars to put the testing back in place because we spent so much on a bubble. Why should we do it again, knowing that we have a vaccine out now and we can hopefully get back 4,000 fans uh, to yeah. watch an NHL game in uh, early to late May? Speaking of the bubble, bubble hockey and bubble basketball. I thought bubble basketball, I thought the NBA in the bubble was the best basketball I've seen in a long time. Because guys didn't have to travel. The 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 game on the court. Unless you pass Kale Siakam. Yeah. Unless you pass Kale Siakam. Or, or Paul George. Or Paul George. <laughs> or Kawhi. <laughs> but I thought the bubble basketball, I thought we seen a lot of great basketball in the bubble. Even hockey, I was watching some hockey because you only had those two sports on. So you were watching a lot of multiple games. Can you just talk about your thought of, one, them being able to do it, but two, the quality of play that happened for them to pull off those playoff series with the Lakers winning and Tampa Bay winning, Tampa Bay Lightning? Yeah, I thought it was going to take a lot longer to get going, like to get up to speed in terms of quality of play. I'm with you. Like it was good right out of the gate. At least for me, it was. And I'm not as big of a basketball guy, so it didn't affect me as much. I, you know, I, I didn't quite follow it the same, but when I followed the hockey, the way they dressed up the arena and the way they covered the seats and piped in a little bit of the crowd noise, it was great. Like I didn't really notice no fans except for those big moments, you know, when the anthem's playing and you can you do the crowd pan shots and you get that emotion and you feel it right like that's what we live for in sports you know and, and your legs start shaking a little bit as you're waiting for the opening face off or the opening tip off right i missed that a little bit but i thought they did a great job at, at making the games you know present really well 
and the athletes, I mean, they worked their butts off. It was, it was good to watch. Yeah. What, what was the greatest equalizer in the bubbles, right? Neutral courts, neutral yeah. rinks. No one had a true home ice, home court <laughs> advantage, right? So I, was, I, don't, I, I honestly, that is overrated. Like, well, no, but in less in football, about it though, right? The Montreal Canadiens, the Montreal Canadiens that was in the septic tank of hell of being the worst team or one of the worst teams in the NHL in the playing games beat Pittsburgh in a five-game series to go to the playoffs, right? right? If this was a normal, hey, we're going to go play in Pittsburgh, play in Montreal, they would have been done in two and a half games and you need three to win. That's how bad the Habs were coming into this whole process. And that's why even in, in the NBA, when you think about the Utah Jazz, the, the Denver Suns Nuggets, I told, Nick, I told Nick Lewis back in September, I go watch out for the Nuggets and Jazz. Whoever wins that series will go deep, deep in the playoffs. It was the Nuggets. No one thought the Denver Nuggets would do what they did because, again, the greatest equalizer is it was a neutral court venue that enabled these teams not to worry about uh, going on the road and playing in Staples or playing you know, in Pittsburgh or whatever it is for hockey at that point. And that's where I thought it really was an even playing field that no matter where you were, same time zone, same court, same food, same hotels, no one was going to have the advantage over anyone else. LeBron James, five months off, then he gets to go, no travel, right? come out there and play. Devon, you mentioned like, I think you were saying like home court a little bit is overrated, right? Yes. So I think you were going Yes. Hockey, we've seen that, right? The road team is starting to have a lot more success um, in the playoffs. And somebody was talking about it a couple of years ago that when you're at home, everything's relaxed, right? I mean, I'm playing video games in the morning. I can eat what I want, do whatever I want, right? If I want to sleep in, I'll sleep in or get up early when you're at home. And I got, you know, friends asking for tickets to the game. And I got all these distractions. And then I go to the game and sure, the crowd's what it is. And when you're on the road, there's so much more structure, so much more team, so much more, right, discipline in terms of the process and routine. And now you have all the teams dialed in on that routine with no outside distractions. I mean, the bubble comes with its own distractions of, you know, look what they had in Orlando with all the entertainment venues and things like that. But you kind of get that whole environment and you're not worried about those external things that you would be normally dealing with. But look at the NFL this year, right? Look at how many road teams have won. Because there's no close games. NFL the is quarter. different. But, but Nick, crowd noise. No crowd, though, Imagine no playing crowd noise, in SAS with no crowd noise, right? But that's the thing. That's where we're That's the, the biggest thing in the NFL because you have to make checks on offense. You go to a silent count where it's off rhythm. But in hockey and basketball, it's just noise. All you hear, it don't matter if you're why, cheering or you're why going. Is it, why is it there? There are just as many offside penalties with no with no people in the crowd than it is. That they ain't got Aaron Rodgers is gonna get people to drop sides, whether it's 85 people there standing and yelling or whether none. They still like it's quiet in there. And you tell him as a defense coach, all you're doing is tell him to look at the ball. When he goes, hut hut, you jump. Like, I mean, that but I'm not talking about that, that, but I'm talking about making the check. I'm talking about from Aaron Rodgers, if he's in a death stadium, right? If he's somewhere where it's super loud, you can't make a check. I can't look over there and make checks, or it's got to be hand You can't make the checks. You just you, you can still make them. No, there's so much. Because football has come to such an intricate place on offense. I'm telling you, sure. like, like, like the, for the quarterbacks now to be able to check any play on offense instantly within seconds. Right, they're looking at the clock. I got ten seconds. I can check this. Right now, they're making their checks. They're doing everything. 
if they're playing in a stadium that's super loud, you can't make that check because you can look to this side and you do this, but you still got to tell the lineman. You still got to tell the running back. You still got to tell this person. They're able to do things they're not able to do all the time, right? I mean, defense, defense. In, works, in works. any situation, but isn't that uh, give and take? It's like a pro and con of that. Like, I mean, it's with the with not being able to make the checks, then you run into um, more smoother offenses, better defenses, a better game because now we're playing play on the play, a mano a mano. Like I'm just saying, there's other. There's there's a flip side to that as well as what I'm saying. That's what the general discussion was. I feel that home field advantage is overrated because, and that and that's the the point of this discussion is that I feel as though like when when guys are on the road. I mean, I go with what Darren said. You don't have you have when you're at home. You get you get you don't even get in game mode until you get to the stadium because you don't even turn the switch on. But when you're on the road, you're already in game mode because you in your mind it's already a business trip. Yeah, so you go like, to sleep thinking about it and wake up thinking about it. Right, because you're like, oh, God, those three plays I messed up in practice during the whole week, man, I got to get them shits right because the coach said they're going to be in the first five play call. But when you're at home, your kid jumping on your lap, she wants you to play with her because you're at home. You're normally not at home these hours before the game, so now you want to do that. Your wifey said that her homegirl wanted three more extra tickets. Now you got to call the ticket off to see if you can get that shit done. And then all of a sudden, now you get to you try to turn that switch on when you get to the stadium two hours before the game. No, that's granted. But but in that game, though, um, you know, just, just going back and thinking about even when I play um, as a defensive player, it's when you're at home, it's loud when you're on the field. When you're on the road, it's quiet when you're on the field. As an offensive player, at home, it's quiet when you're on the field. At, on the road, it's loud when you're on the field. And that does make a difference. I mean, just even – there's so many when you have like 15 and 18 word plays, you miss one word. It makes a difference in that play and it makes a difference in everybody's communication. And I just think in football, it just changes the communication on the offense, but everything leading up to it, hundred percent. You got so many more things at home that you got to deal with that you don't have to deal with on the road. Well, think about it guys. I'll give you an example. Cause you two guys were involved in Darren. I know you probably watched it from, from your home, 2008 great cup, right? Montreal State Stadium. hotel. Right. From so Thursday yes. on. Yeah. Yeah. What? 66,000 fans at the game. I was there in person covering it from, from the media perspective. It was loud, right? Nick, you know, you probably yeah. had the whole, Hey, listen guys, we need to have our signing count, whatever it is. Devon, you knew that it's yeah. going to get loud and that you, the home team would have that in their favor. But it, it, it makes a big influence, guys. I go back to Green Bay in New Orleans, week two, Sunday night football in the Superdome. There's no crowd noise, right? And the Saints said, man, we missed the crowd noise because it would have given us that extra juice to get A-Rod or to make a big play on offense and stuff. It took time, right? The NFL, like, look at the gambling lines, guys. The, the underdog road teams. That is a cop-out. But you, it isn't, though, Devon. No, because what I'm saying is, no, what, no, what I'm talking about when you, when, as a player, if a player tells you that – that they needed the crowd noise, then they're full of shit. Well, they need to put that check with the crowd. I'm already paying $5 million to do this. Yeah, get but the remember, hell out of here. The, You're the, playing the, for a championship. <laughs> you can't get motivated by those two things. I probably don't have you on the right team. But you know what? This isn't this isn't an Argos home game, right? Think about stadiums that have loud crowd noises, right? We talk about Seattle, New Orleans, yeah. Kansas City, CFL, Sask being one of them, right? Winnipeg being another team. Those that has an influence in terms of how it's played out. And I'm like, okay, like, like, the only rebuttal here is Mo is 
Uh, I've played in Seattle. I've played in Green Bay. I've played. I've played in. Fuck. I've played in the Saints. I've played there in in New Orleans. And I'm I'm not speaking from what the friends that they tell me. I'm speaking from what I see personally, and I'm speaking from what I know that is a distraction and what is not a distraction for me and my cohorts. I'm not speaking from what the perception of what I need to tell this media guy that's asking me about the crowd noise and saying what's correct. I, I'm not going to tell you that I was probably thinking about my girl when I jumped off sides and wasn't even listening to the damn play call, but yet I needed the crowd noise. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying is that if a player is telling you that legitimately it is legit excuse, and Nick, you can attest to this, anytime a player gives you an excuse, it is just that an excuse. A real player and the real ones you've interviewed, and you've interviewed quite a few real ones, what do they do? They own it. They just say, I screwed up, or it was my play to make, or I didn't make it. They didn't say, well, we missed a, we missed the juice of the crowd noise, and we really, really could have used that win-win for the Gifford speech from coach at halftime. He didn't even say it right. Clay, you had a you had a real good saying last year when we, we opened up training camp. You say you don't teach effort, you replace it. No, nah, if you don't coach effort, you replace it. So so that it does play. I understand both sides here, but as a professional athlete, you're getting paid to do something. There is no motivations. Like if your motivation isn't enough to win the game, like even bullet bulletin board material, there's some things that can that can make it personal. But it's not. It doesn't make me want to win more. The reason I want to win already is that's how I got there, right? The bullets of board material makes it personal. Anything that becomes personal, that's when I look to the sideline. That's when I do a little bit more antics. That's why I do this. I do that. It doesn't make me want to make this play more. I already want to make that play more because that's the way I got to where I'm at. So I understand that side of things and what Clay's talking about. And when you look at the the whole. If the crowd was there, it would gave us a little bit more. I don't know if it gives you a little bit more. The crowd is fun to interact with as an athlete. Um, but when it comes down to playing the game, you look at the teams right now, the Jets have won the last two weeks. Why are the Jets winning now? Because it's the end of the season, and they know if they don't play well, they're not going to be there next year. So now Nobody it's, it's, wants to go undefeated. Nobody wants to go winless next. No, right? no, no. Everybody wants a job next year. Yeah. That's the difference. If you're a free agent, why do free agents play better? If you're going to be a free agent, why do you end up playing better? Because you know you don't have a contract. You focus yeah. more. You do things more towards that, getting that next contract. When you're in, on a losing team, when I went 4-14 four and 14, and when I was in Montreal, oh, every year it was like, who's going to be gone out of this room? And if you're not yeah. putting it on tape, because those coaches are telling you, if you're not putting it on tape, you will not be here next year. Yeah. So it doesn't matter about the fans. It matters about, oh, do I still want to play pro football? You can't go put in a resume somewhere and say, hey, look, this is what I've done before. Um, let me get another job, right? Those are the things that matter to players. And, and you look at teams that are bad teams, they're going to compete because they need contracts and they have to play and don't get me wrong man don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the fans are not a key cog in the success of a team by you no means the bus devon on <laughs> 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 the bus man we the fans we don't need any more than cfl or nfl nba any joke no, cares. No, but that's what i'm saying but like don't get me wrong because i i really think that there is a place and i think that especially in the cfl it's a gate driven league like 
The NFL is the only professional sport that didn't play. And the reason they didn't play is because they couldn't find a, a way to put their fans. So the fans have great value when, like, yes. I mean, they, they're a key cog in this thing. I mean, the salary, but it's not an excuse. Everything starts with the fans. No matter what, even if, even these teams that are playing in a bubble and have these huge TV deals, they wouldn't have it if they didn't have the viewership to back it or support it. So don't get me wrong in that. I'm not saying that they're not important. I'm just saying that when it comes down to the winning and losing, like I, the biggest problem that I have, and this is what I mean, Mo, is that when a fan comes up to you and say, I helped you win the championship yesterday or this and that. Really, guy? Like, you were out there taking on a double team beside me <laughs> or you was out here catching this pass? Like, like don't get don't get so enamored into the fact of saying that, like, yes, you contribute. I think we would have played okay with or without you. You don't want to be that guy to say that. But in the back of your head, you're thinking, like, I don't go to your job and say, I helped you. The reason that you, reason that you were able to make that sale today is because you listen to me give you a motivational speech before the game, before the sale meeting. Yeah. Hey, Darren, Darren, remind ourselves when we interviewed Devon when he's back coach of the CFL. Hey, how was the fans tonight in the winning over so and so? See what he says now. Non factor. Non factor. Oh, look, I already, knew, I already knew that was coming. <laughs> you watch Queen's Gambit? I'm already ahead. I can't say nothing I can't be ready to answer for. Exactly. Hey, Great you know, hey, show, the, by the way. The fans, the fans do a great job of, of supporting. And, and like you said, the fans are the reason you play. If no fans ever showed up, there wouldn't be any sports, right? So the fans are the reason you go out and you, the reason you entertain. That's the payday, Nick, when you score, when you win, and the fans are there, right? That's yep. the reason you do it, right? Because it feels good. Well, let's transition to the next one. Will LeBron James win another ring? He's got four hey, now. Happy birthday, King. And today is birthday. Today happy is birthday. his birthday. It is 36 years old or yeah. 35 or 36, whatever he is now. 36. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm being the only only true Laker fan over here on this panel right now. Laker fan since June or since uh, September? Well, no, since Worthy in 88 and Magic. Come on with it now. That's black <laughs> and white era of basketball. Hey, hey, hey. hey. That's Nick, Nick, Nick. You Laker you fan. Please go sign this. You're a Lakers fan. You're like we've been fan. arguing about because all we argue about is Luca. All we argue about is Luca and LeBron. That's our, that's Nick and myself's argument. <laughs> Luca gonna be the MVP though. Oh, here we go. <laughs> hey, but LeBron, do you think about this? Everything's set up for LeBron. AD comes to LA last year. Um, everything they're going through. They weren't winning. They didn't look like the favorite when the season shut down. Time off, everybody gets healthy. Time off, everybody gets healthy. Then they go into the bubble. Everything that's going chaotic in the bubble with, with the Clippers ready to shut things down, with everything's going wrong. And me and Mo talked uh, on, on the podcast. I said I had the Clippers versus Miami Heat in the championship. Mode, you had the Nuggets versus um, who'd you have in the East? No, 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 I had I had the Nuggets going deeper than expected. Everyone was doubting. I said the winner of the Jazz Nuggets series would go very deep. Yes, and they would face the Lakers or whoever would be at that point, which was the Lakers at the end of the day. Yeah, so, yeah, and you know. so everything everything kind of set up for LeBron. 
If you look no. at it. Wait a second, wait a no. second, wait a second. I'm not trying to discredit LeBron because no. he went out and played oh, great no, basketball. No. I'm good. I'm, I'm not, glad he played great I'm basketball. But did he not set up? And you're, and you're 18. To get four or five months off and then not have to deal with any travel and just focus on basketball. And plus you go out there and you play great basketball. I mean, it's undeniable. Like LeBron is one of the greatest players I've ever played. The best basketball player in the NBA is just came back, Kevin Durant, and we we can talk about that later. But LeBron James showed up and did what he was supposed to do in the bubble from day one to the day he walked out of there. And I think you have to commend him on that. And when you look at that and look at what he did, can he do it again? Of course, now as Nick. the favor. Of course, Nick, he will look. Nick, wait, 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 wait. Y'all act like we won the number one seed. Like, I mean, you act like we won the number one seed. But they're, I mean, they're going to win this year, the Lakers. Look how they built the team, right? Bringing Schroeder, bringing a younger team, Montrez Harrell. They got younger, athletic, we, and they we built got younger. We got younger, we got more athletic, and we got we got great shooting. We get better all the way around. They are, this team is gonna a better miss, team than what it was two months ago. I think you're going to sure. miss I, I think you're going to miss JaVale McGee and uh, Dwight Howard. And I'll say this, and Rondo. And I'll say That's this: right. You got be, better players. You got better that. players. But you don't. You lost athletic line. ability at that. Mark Mark Gasol is not athletic. But he doesn't have to be athletic, though, Nick. All he has passer. to do, all he has to do is give him 20, 25, get about ten rebounds, clog the paint, and that's all he has to do. That's yeah. what he did for the Raptors. And that's the same thing Dwight Howard did. Just called the plane. All Dwight did is came out there with Dirty D. That's why I called him Dirty D. Every time Dwight came out there, he came out there and put his hands on people. For sure. <laughs> like, like even I, last night, I was watching the game um, because you know he's on the, the other team. The Timberwolves. Yeah, Tim, they, 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 they ain't with no Timberwolves. No, 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 no. Oh, you talking about Dwight? Uh, Dwight's with Philadelphia. Yeah, with Philly. With Philly. As soon as oh. he came out there, when Joe MB came out, he was putting his paws on the Raptors. Ugh, ugh. Like I'm saying, he was putting his hands on them. No, it's, I, it's I, the Lakers. It's Lakers title to lose. That's how I see it. No one's gonna touch sure. them until maybe the Western Conference Final. See, it feels like that now, but did and when LeBron was in Miami, it felt like that. When he was in Cleveland, it felt like that. Golden State with their runs, it just felt like okay, we already got one ticket punch, right to the final. And it's not like a bunch of other teams in the conference are going to battle for second, right? Yeah. But the last couple of years, it felt more wide open to me than it ever has. That we there had was four injuries too. The Durant got out, then you lost Clay. So, like, yeah. teams that would normally have a great one, two, three punch don't even have a one, two at the time. So, like, I get what Nick is saying in that perspective of if things fell in line. But, like, everybody else had that five-month layoff, too, as a bronze. Right. Oh, 100%. Right. Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George, I mean, they were supposed to be the new. They were supposed to take over the king of L.A. in the crown and blah, blah, blah. Totally. And you got the I, Greek freak. You got LeBron. You. you got all these other stars. You got Kawhi, Right. It feels now like the separation between the number one in the league in terms of players and then two through five. And it feels like it's a lot closer than it's ever been, or it's been in a long time. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of duos in the NBA. There's five or six teams now that have a shot to win. And because it's not, you know, one team at the top with, you know, such an advantage or there's not that much of a gap. I feel like since there's more parity, that's going to make it less likely that LeBron wins another ring. And it's right? fun think to about watch. it, though, Darren, right? It's fun to think watch. Think about it, guys. 
if you look at the Golden State Warriors, we'll give that as a sample size, right? They had a five-year run with the five straight NBA Finals, right? They won three, lost two. But after that, they broke down, right? Kevin Durant broke down in the Finals against the Raptors. Klay Thompson broke down against the Raptors in the Finals, right? These guys are taking so many years or now almost a year and a half, two years, whatever it is, to get back to fully health. Every NBA team will have their apex. And at some point, the wear and tear of playing so many NBA games, playoff games. Think about the mindset. Guys, you know how it is. The mindset, games, the mental you only play 10 less. You play yeah. 72 this year. Look at Jordan, right? We'll go back to even the Bulls back in the late 90s, the, the, the second free P. When Pippen and Jordan kept going afterwards, they weren't the same. They were worn down. They were they were broken down. And I'm a Bulls guy, right? Well, you got to they- remember though, back in those days, it wasn't about player management. It wasn't about load management. No, but it, it was a tougher like league. This. Yeah, but it, it, was, it was a tougher, a tougher league, league back then. It was a tougher league back then. And they also played like Michael Jordan played seventy some games out of eighty two. Like they didn't miss games. 80, like if they missed yeah. games in, in that in that generation in that that time frame, if you missed games, you were hurt. There was no load management. Like you had a high ankle sprain, you was out. It wasn't no, I'm just gonna take this game for maintenance. Like I, I was watching uh, NBA um, last night, and a player's taking. They've only played three games, and a player's taking a game off already off of back to back home games. It's not even. KD and Kyrie didn't play last night off of back. Uh, yeah, like, like I'm like, who I does think. that? Like this, yeah. this day and age, like that's crazy. But it's also the the, the, the improvement of science, right? Durant's coming off in a massive, massive injury of, of what he suffered. And you don't want him to go through that again. Look at, look well, no, at I'm, Thompson. I'm like, I wasn't just saying – I wasn't saying those two guys. Now, that's different because it's also bringing him back from rehab, and you also don't want to – I understand the low management. I really never helped you. I understand the low management in that case, but I'm just saying in general, not notwithstanding those two guys, there were two or three other guys that are key players. I don't want to name the names and throw them under the bus – but they're key players in uh, for their respective teams, and they just took the game off. And it's only been a week of the NBA season. And I get it. It's a short turnaround, and I get it. You lose 10 games. I get all that. And I understand that the signs, like, I mean, hell, I, we thought we thought in our day and age a concussion was just some spiders and shake it off and go on and back in the game. So I understand the evolution of medicine and, and stuff, too. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. I get what well, I get it. Yeah. Well, shout out LeBron. Another L.A. team won the World Series. First time in 32 years, the L.A. Dodgers. Not only did they win the World Series, we got a guy come on the field. They got pulled out of the game in the sixth inning. With COVID. He got <laughs> yeah. traded this week. <laughs> he got traded this week? Yeah. Oh, man. Shout out Turner. But what was your thoughts? Like, I think no. the last five World no, Series No, you're camps, talking about the pitcher in Tampa. The pitcher for the Rays. Things happen here. You got a pitcher in Tampa, Snell, who got pulled too early, yeah. which led to a loss. And you got Turner, who got pulled with COVID. So yes. it kind of both applies. It kind yeah. of melts together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Turner, I mean, to his, like, who's going to sit in the locker room and watch everybody celebrate? Right? The right. Guy with COVID. Would, you, would you sit in the locker room and watch everybody celebrate? Or would you go on the field? The season's over. I'm going out. <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask in that photo. Like I'm that going out. Up. I'm probably going out. Look, I, I posted on my my IG story today. Uh, they, they had a they had a highlight of Liverpool, my favorite soccer team in the world, winning for the first time in 30 years. And you, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Chelsea, whatever. 
whatever, whatever to these teams. Anyway, <laughs> I would have broken protocol and celebrated with Liverpool fans that night. So I don't blame them. I, I get it. We're in that new world of pandemic or whatever. I get it. But like this guy went through the rigors to win a World Series for his hometown team or home state team. And you can't have him come out there to take the team picture. One thing I will say, though, he should have worn the mask at least to kind of save face with the media of how he approached it post-game celebration. Valid, valid. Like, yeah. I mean, it's one of those words of perception is reality. And if you come out there with a the mask on, they'd be like, okay, we understand that he wanted to be part of the photos and the celebration. But he did try. But also perception is also reality in the fact that they're all healthy males that between the age and their, their percentage of dying or actually being sick from COVID is like, five percent for all that for the people that he was surrounded with on the field and if you even look at the blowback of that picture and of that how many reported cases of COVID stem none. from that from that none to right. my knowledge yeah it could have been bad you know and all it takes I mean if you want to avoid the the nightmare of it is again more honesty more upfrontness you go to the team and say look at we're, we want him out here this is a once in a lifetime photo 32 years right yeah, we're okay if he comes out here. And as a price, we'll all go party and we'll quarantine as a team for two weeks to make sure it doesn't spread to the community. But he, got like, pulled, we'll but he got pulled out of the game in the sixth inning. So obviously I've already been around these guys all day for five or well, six innings of this game. Yeah. So if they got it, they probably got it from the other interactions already. It's yeah. maybe just the families that are down on the field now that become at risk. But then those guys, if they got it from me anyway, they're going to, their families are going to get it anyway. But I think Nick, right? what it is, optic wise, the, the way it's built now, right? We're looking at athletes as being the leaders of getting us out of this black hole of COVID, right? With sports. Yeah. So they're looking at it as being the, the role models. Well, they should abide by this rule. Like you're going to wear a mask. You're going to do this. If you're going to celebrate, do it from a distance. That was thrown out the window. The moment the Dodgers won and got the last out in Texas, um, that was it. They're going to celebrate. And it, as you said before, Darren, 32 years is a long time. It's a long time for any sports fan base for a franchise to go trophyless. And in the case that it was for the Dodgers, given how much they invested, the amount of money they invested for last four years, right? Three World Series trips. They came up empty up until this past November, October that it was. And look, you're going to celebrate, and I get it. There will be ramifications coming your way, and thankfully it wasn't that bad because they all got tested the following day and flew home, some of them at least did, before they all came back on the following Wednesday. I think the last five World Series champs have all been 25 years or more drought. That one. Uh, well, Houston, right? Uh, yeah. Houston, Boston was more or less in the last 20 years. where they've. But I think Boston was, was like five or six years ago, right? Boston won in 13 and in uh, 18, whatever it was that they Was beat. it 18? Um, yeah. Because I, I, I know Chicago Cubs won. Come on, Mo. And was San just Fran won. Batman now. Yes, 2016, <laughs> right? Chicago like Cubs. San Fran won, didn't it? San Fran won in 2014. Uh, 10, oh, okay. 12, and 14. Yeah. And then, Come on, Mo. You're the stat man now. You know better. not to be. Come on. I see COVID got you over there slipping. Yeah, well, Darren's got the phone out, right? It's almost a fact check. Him. <laughs> yeah, you I ready have to my go, airplane Mo? mode right now, you know? Let's go. <laughs> the last walk, five, walk me back from 2020. The last five oh, World Series champs. The Nationals won so, too. Nationals won, yeah. Then and we talk about them being the Expos, right? So they go yeah. even further than most teams. So Dodgers, Nationals, Red Sox. Yeah. 
And then we had the uh, Astros, no? Yeah. Yep. And then yep. the Cubs. Yeah. And then 2015, uh, that was who? See, I'm forgetting now. I'm just losing my Is mind. Is that right San Fran? No, mm-hmm. San Fran won in 2014. Uh, 2015. Was was the Kansas City Rolls? Got it, Nick. Kansas City Rolls. Royals. Royals, that's right. And then you get into that every second year with yeah, the Giants. Giants, right? uh, 14. And then 13 was the Red Sox. Yeah. 12 was the Giants. 11, I'll tell you this story, okay? 2011, Nick Lewis is on yours truly. We're watching, we're on air talking sports, watching the, the Ranger Cardinal World Series game. Oh my God. Rangers are about to win it. And what happened? The Cardinals get the game tie run and the game winning run as Nick Lewis is on. With catch the ball. All you got to do is catch a pop line outfield. And that cost them. They forced the game seven, and that was it for the Rangers. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, and now John Daniels is taking but over. But you should and... be used to, Nick, but being a Dallas sports fan, you should be used to a little heartbreak. A little. <laughs> well, Dallas Stars, right? Dallas Stars, Cowboys. Dang. Stars won in 99. I, I tell you what, Tampa Bay Devil, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning have broke my heart twice because my first year in Calgary, they beat the Flames. The goals should yeah. counted. And yeah, then last right. year, they beat the, the Stars in the championship. But speaking of, speaking of heartbreak, Dude, it broke a lot of hearts back in the day. Came back in 2020. 15 years outside the ring. Mike Tyson returned to fight Roy Jones. What did you think leading up this? I was super excited. Mike Tyson returned in 2020. And he looked great. I was talking to uh, one of my old podcast mates, Bronco McCart. uh, Great boxer. Talked to him yesterday about the fight. He was very impressed by Mike Tyson's movement. And he felt that Mike could have knocked out Roy whenever he wanted to. But he was like, he was throwing punches high just to do it. And he didn't have the intent. But now they're talking about Tyson fighting Holyfield where there's animosity. What did you think about Mike Tyson returning to the ring in 2020? Who wants to go? I don't know. You lead off, man. Well, my personal take on it was that Tyson... I'm happy to see it's it's one of those like he became a culture icon with the hangover and then he then with then with his marijuana business and then like hundred million just, a year. Yeah. And and him just being him just being real, I think people understand and respect that. Like, I mean, he's I put him in the same categories like Snoop Dogg, for example. Like, you don't know why everybody likes him, but everybody likes him. Like even <laughs> from the suits to like from a guy with a suit to uh, a, a like a redneck from North Carolina, like everybody likes him. You know what I mean? So like, I think it was like a great full circle redemption of him finally getting But I personally think that he could have knocked him out a plenty of times because if you've been boxing over those years, you don't miss those shots that close. Like, I mean, Nick, you and I, we've been in, you know, we've, we've been in boxerines and octagons and training for training and things like that. So you understand how much time and stuff that it goes into, like how many, you probably throw over two or 3 million jabs a week, just training. So like, you got to think of how many he's thrown in his career and he's just missing high. It's like, he could like, in my opinion, I thought he could have took into that fight anytime he wanted to. Yeah, I agree. He could have. Oh yeah. He looked you right know there. that was written into the contract, you know. The Roy Jones said, "Sure, I'll do it." But you can't knock he, me out. But he ain't touching my face. But you remember? <laughs> but you remember early? Roy Jones took the fight on four weeks' notice because he yeah, said he Tyson can't get in shape 
in four weeks to fight me. And then when they extended it out two months, he was like, okay, now he can hurt me. Right. Yeah. So originally when Roy Jones took the fight, it was two of the biggest names. Roy Jones, one of the greatest fighters ever. Pound for pound, Roy Jones might be the greatest fighter ever. Cause I don't know anybody can knock people out and show flash. He had what Mayweather has. He has what uh, Hagler had and Hearns had and everybody combined. Right. When you look at Tyson, Tyson was yeah. undersized at 5'10", 205, 210 pounds, knocking out big guys. And it was like, how is this small guy knocking out all these big guys? Right? So when you look at the, the, the legends in the ring, it did provide something. And I thought you got your money's worth for that fight. Totally. You yeah. did. You, you ahead, definitely sir. did, right? But think about how much the, the pay-per-view buy rates were. It was one of the highest for pay-per-view in many, many years for a boxing card, right? Boxing is one of those sports guys. It's called for what it is. You guys all like mixed martial arts. It's definitely now gone here for boxing, and MMA is up here. Like, it's beyond I mean, belief, right? You're, well, you're I don't know. They're still getting paid more boxing. They are getting paid more, but, the, but in terms of the demographics of fan base, though, it's a much younger sport for what we saw. For our age group, guys, we definitely would cling to Mike Tyson because we know what he is, a Nintendo game, uh, for what he did from the apex to when he bit off Holyfield's ear. People know who he is because, as Devon made the point before, he connects with everybody, regardless of where you come from. And in the case that it was, you had Roy Jones Jr., who was one of the best lightweight fighters and the heavyweight fighter going at it. And let's not forget, Roy Jones won a heavyweight fight when he was at his best. Won a belt at 20 years ago. Won a belt against Ruiz. Yeah. Yeah. But he started at 154. Right. Like, like Roy Jones, you know what the crazy part is? Because my my daughter's, um, our oldest daughter, her boyfriend was over here, and we're all watching it. And all the kids knew Tyson. But nobody knew Roy Jones. And I had to put on a Roy Jones highlight film just so they understood who Roy Jones were. And they were like, oh, my gosh. And let's not but, forget Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> but Roy Jones Jr., guys, if you remember, if you remember when, when Michael Jordan had the jump man line come out after his retirement, yeah, Roy, Roy Jones Jr. was one of the first athletes that he, yeah, he was that the signed with the Jordan athlete. jump man label. You For know? sure. And just came out eight years ago. Yeah, remember yeah. Roy had that song, them songs out when he, he said, y'all must have forgot. <laughs> Hey man, it's, it's, that CD. it's a but, great it's a great lesson in, in in promotion and marketing boxing's lost it a little bit you know some of the league sports leagues have lost it a little bit I look at the cfl you know in terms of creating storylines we think the product's just so good people are going to show up and i know that there's boxing but purists isn't that what's are, really happening though darren right but there's boxing purists who are upset being like why are you right, paying money for this because what we put on every weekend or every month is way better. The title sure. fights are way better. Problem is, we don't know who they are. They're not talking about biting his ear off or eating his children or doing these things. There's no reason for me to watch. Final. This is kind of, it's sure. my take on women's sports, right? Very good. It's not, it's not about equal pay for equal play. It's all about money. what's going to make me want to watch. What's in the movie trailer that's going to make me want to go to the movie? That's why it's The Rock makes so much money. The movies aren't better. They're not award winners. He has storylines that make me want to go to the theater. It's the same thing in sports. When Bianca Andreski played, you know, it was in that match against, um, was it Serena Williams? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. US Open. That's yeah. David versus Goliath. It's women's tennis, but it made me want to watch because it's David versus Goliath. It's well, that's why everybody tunes in when Tiger get that red shirt on on Sunday. 
but you've got it. Everybody going to tune in. But we have to right? tell the stories and create storylines like we're promoting in the WWE over Don King. But as a media guy, Darren, do you think the internet and the readily access, I mean, you think you've made like Jake Paul and Logan Paul, these guys are making $35, $40 million off these fights because they're getting a million, because they have five, they have 15, 20 million followers and they're just getting 10, 2% of those to get a pay-per-view by. And these guys are eating like, is that in itself milking down or watering down the sport? Because it's not like it's not like you and I can be YouTube stars and say let's go and play some flat some fo tackle football and you want you know you that's just you know that's just a recipe for disaster. Like Jake Paul ain't gonna go to Nate Robinson and say let's go play basketball, but no, right. you pick you pick a a sport where you can really not be good at it and you can market it and you can sell it. And now I mean you gotta think they have many just as many buys as Floyd Mayweather did in, in one of his fights. Canelo's getting, Canelo's getting about 1.2 million buys for his fights. Right? Yeah. Logan Paul, so much. Well, Jake Paul has 25, 40 million YouTube followers. It's, it's cross pollination, guys, right? Yeah. It's, it's that athlete that's, that wants to be a singer. The singer wants to be an athlete, right? Sure. It's always that cross pollination that, hey, I can do this. Why not? You know what? I, I can do this. I can do a couple of punching bags, whatever it is, and fight Nate Robinson on, on a Saturday night at Staples. But the thing is, guys, what we look at now as a society when it comes to athletes or pretend athletes, your character, are you colorful? Are you bravado? Like, do you people have want to be elements? entertained? People exactly. Want people like we're we're in that ADD society now, guys, where we're on our phones every two seconds. We're, we're looking yeah. for the next highlight. We're looking for this thing or that thing. That's oh, what yeah. athletes have become, and that's where the NBA has become the sport that people love because there's so many different characters that you encounter on an NBA Tuesday or on a Friday night primetime basketball. Well, and how are you promoting it? Because the accessibility is at an all-time high, right? It used to be, oh, I've got the relationship with HBO, so we're going to create Boxing After Dark or, or Showtime or whatever, and our and our you know matches will be on, and people will watch because it's what's available to them. The CFL, right, in Canada. It was the league for, for Canada because there wasn't 15 or 16 NFL games available in Canadian homes every weekend. There wasn't fantasy football available every day on my phone and news available. It was only the CFL and the supper news. It was only, you know, the Canadian hockey teams in the NHL that we had available to every Saturday night. Now the NFL is just as available in Canada as the CFL. Like, and for fans, they'll go to Minnesota, Chicago, Seattle, you know, Buffalo, just as conveniently as they'll go to Regina, Winnipeg, Hamilton, Toronto, Vancouver, right? For sure. Like, so these sports, In some cases, more. Yeah. yeah. And now Logan Paul said, like, I don't need a relationship with HBO. You're going to do but it on see, YouTube. But see, that's what ruined boxing. Boxing, you have Showtime guys, you have top-ranked guys, you have these guys are in different organizations, and they can't fight each other because they want to get their own people paid. I can't get paid as Bob Arum if I'm going to let you fight Mayweather's guys or De La Hoya's guys or or if you're we're at Showtime, you can't fight an HBO guy, right? That's the problem with boxing. But what, what Tyson did was step outside and say, look, there's guys out here with YouTube followings and with these social media followings that people will pay to watch compete. And Logan Paul or Jake Paul, they have been training. Now, they're not, he's not going to have a chance against Floyd Mayweather, 
but people are still going to watch because his followers are going to see, and 80% of the people watch Floyd Mayweather to watch Floyd get his ass whooped, and we know Floyd ain't going to ever get his ass whooped because if Floyd was going to get his ass whooped, Floyd's not going to sign up for the contract. But you're bang on, though, Nick, because, look, everyone has an association, right? You were Bob Arum. You were with ESPN. You're with um, whatever, Showtime. In the context of Mike Tyson's card, there's no affiliations. It's like, you know what? All right, come on board. Let's go, Paul. You since Mo, I know you're a real MMA guy, and Nick and Darren, do you think that's why? No, I wouldn't say MMA is better per se. What I will say is that MMA, because it is controlled by one entity of Dana White in the in the creme de la creme, you do get to see those matchups. Like you do, like you you don't have to you don't have to have a boxer begging like Earl Spence. Like, come on, Earl, you ain't gonna fight Crawford. Like, really, you're not gonna fight Crawford. Like. That is the Canelo. Fight everybody wants, huh? He's trying to fight Canelo. Yeah, but that's what, but I'm, my point. But him and Crawford like, would be a great fight. Yes, my the best fight at one forty-seven. Yeah, there's there's two or three fights there that those guys are arguably that's the best weight class right now in boxing, and you can't get the best pound for pound in in the premier boxing against top ranking. But the difference is is that. You know that if it's a if it's a middleweight out there that um or a light heavyweight or somebody that can fight, Dana White gonna put them in the ring together because Dana White Adesanya Jones. Is, though, Adesanya Jones. Though, guys, right. What does Dana White have? He has a monopoly over this, right? But that's what I said. Yeah, that's what I was meaning the supply and demand of what happens for every month. Because look, guys, before UFC 20, 30 years ago was taboo. Like this is this is extreme fighting. This is underground Your stuff. Rules. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. It should never be accepted. Right. Then twenty yeah. years ago. It became mainstream, and then it went from being one pay per view for every four or five months to now almost every, month. every single weekend. There's some sort of card of mixed martial arts that's happening on ESPN or pay per view uh, for the next twenty years coming up. Yeah, but you're right. It's like Vince McMahon and Dana White. You know, you can pick and hand pick who's going to fight who. You know, based on storylines, what's the crowd going to going to buy, right? And these things can happen that don't happen in other sports, right? You yeah. have a, a young hot shot that happens to win a fight, and what does he do? Calls out the guy with the title. He has no business. He's not no number one contender, but he calls him out, right, in the media, that he's the next guy, and now everybody wants to see that fight. Right. Right? Some, you create storyline. Something interesting happened this year, though. You get a lot of guys that are very entertaining. When Conor McGregor came on the scene, it became less about the belt. It became more about the entertainment. Who you want Connor to fight great matchups? You don't want to see Connor fight a wrestler like Khabib and have Khabib taken down and just beat him because it, it just doesn't make sense. So, what do the fans want? The fans want to see Connor fight the greatest striker. They don't want to see Connor fight wrestlers. They don't want to see that. That might be the best two guys in the world, but they're like, no, I don't want to see that fight. But I want to see what, this fight. I want to see the two best wrestlers What's made Conor great, though? What's made him great, though, Nick? What's made Conor great? We talked about it two minutes ago. Because his trash Flamboyancy, exactly. bravado, character, exactly. uh, mic skills. Mic skills. Guys, wrestling was the originator, originator of the mic skills, right? Why did The Rock become so popular? <laughs> Think about it. The Rock became popular because of what? His Do mic you skills. Spell- what the Rockies cooking? Exactly, right? Exactly. It, it probably for him to be what he is now, right? It's it's having that charisma that attracts and hooks in 
uh, an average fan that might say, you know what, I'm going to watch Conor McGregor fight so-and-so. Uh, I want to see Khabib, who says, I'm going to retire, maybe come back in 18 months and fight Conor McGregor because we need to see a part two of those two guys going at it. That was so much fun to watch a year ago. So quickly before we move on, should Nate Robinson take another fight? No, no. Unless no. he, unless no, he but fight, he's got to fight somebody that he's got to fight another entertainer that doesn't box, and he's got to be able to get proper training. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of the balls, right? The ball kids. <laughs> I I'd pay to watch that. Lonzo, What about uh, Jr. Smith? No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Jr. I mean, had his moments. Because they were talking about doing like a, a a retirement NBA like boxing league, like like doing it and like actually like putting on fights. Do you not see Nick Nate Robinson? He was out cold for like thirty <laughs> seconds. I, I, Mo, hey, ill for the attacks. Mo, you're a competitor. You know, like I like I Nick. You remember, you know the video, I, the picture of I got of you and Joffrey planking at that place in uh, <laughs> in Moncton. We could have used that for the Nate Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> hey, once you're a competitor, you're going to compete. And I, I know in the back of Nate Robinson's mind, he's thinking right now, I got to take this serious and I want to get back in the ring. And I want to show that I can go. Even if I don't win or lose, it doesn't matter. It's just about competing and putting on a better show. I think he thought that he was just a great athlete and he can go out there and maintain with somebody. One, Jake Paul walks around 20, 30 pounds heavier than Nate Robinson. That's why there's weight classes in these fights. And you can't just step in the ring with people and just think you're going to be a better athlete and come out on top. So he's got to fight somebody more in his weight class, um, first of all. And, and second of all, I think he needs the proper training. And you see all these boxers like George Foreman and people talking about wanting to train him uh, to give him one more fight. Fight Elon Green. I don't know. Who's the NFL MVP this year, Aaron Rodgers. If I'm going to go off the board, it, it will be Aaron Rodgers. I think I agree. But if the if the team didn't um, flunk in the last couple of weeks here, it would be Aaron Donald in my books. That's off the board. It is off. If, if the Rams had won their games, uh, you know, but that's not the case now. It will be Aaron Rodgers though. But if I pick my guy, Aaron Donald would be the guy. Who you got? Yeah, I think it's. It's Rodgers, right? I mean, touchdowns and interceptions. You look at the quarterback rating. He just continues to get it done. Most consistent from top to bottom throughout the year, right? It just seems like with Mahomes, like you said, right? Sometimes they'll just take their foot off the gas, right? And it just too many close games, right? Haven't been able to put guys away. But the question is, in comparing those two guys, when you're thinking about an MVP, you're thinking about a guy who makes, he's the most valuable player. He makes his team leaps and bounds better. How many other players in, in, that are putting up decent numbers this year can you say and put in that category to where, like you can say that with Green Bay, like if they if they lose if they lose Aaron Rodgers, they would they won't win a game. Like no, they're, they're not winning. They have, no. They're solid defensively and they have a the solid run game, but they won't they they're a different team with him at the helm now. Would be if you the question your million dollar question would be if you put Mahomes on Green Bay and you put Rodgers on Kansas City who has the similar records and why? Mm. Oof. Uh, look, 
That's I, a I, tough question. Personally speaking, it, it was the exact same thing that we, we said about, you know, when Tom Brady at his apex with Peyton Manning, if you flip those guys, who would do better, right? I think in the case of both, I think they, they would both excel in each in each uh, city systems that they're in with Matt LaFleur and, and the Reed system. I just think in the case that we're in right now, and I used, I liken it to the Heisman trophy, right? The big game. We, we had Florida, Alabama t- two weeks ago, college trash for Florida. Alabama's got the three guys, right? Everyone said, look, whoever wins that football game impresses probably was the Heisman. On Sunday, we had Tennessee Green Bay, right? Derrick Henry, people would think he's a third place guy coming in. A-Rod, whoever has that strong game probably will get that pole vault towards the number one spot. Loser is out. Derrick Henry is out. We're down to now who? Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. Josh Allen had the primetime game on Monday. Came out like gangbusters. He might take a couple more votes away. It's all about the eye test right now. Who has that impressive display of, of, of stats, control, and winning the football game? And I think right now, going to the final weekend, it's A-Rod 1, Mahomes 2, Allen 3. Mm. And Mahomes ain't playing, right? No. Nope. nope. Okay, since we're talking about MVPs, who wins? Who wins the MVP in the NBA? Since we can, we might as well get this argument going right now. KD, well, we can just make this a Luka Doncic hour now. So let's <laughs> let's take over. Luka or KD gonna win it? I mean, I think KD is the most efficient scorer in NBA history. Um, I just think that he's got something to prove. He's he's going out. He's dropping buckets. I uh, heard someone out Spencer Dinwiddie, but if you look at a guy with Luka, they're not getting Przingis back until the middle or end of January. And this guy's a – he's going to be a 25-8-8 eight and eight guy on every day of the year. And it, when you look at those numbers, it's just like put Luka's team up, put the Mavericks up. If you take Luka and Porzingis off and then you take off the rest of the guys on other teams, the top two guys, I think Luka has the least to work with. If you look at the yeah, Lakers. It's the New York Knicks. Yeah. Like – Come on, man. Like, we, we got guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. They all play in the NBA, Nick. Get I know they here. all play. I know they all play in the NBA. Come on, man. I know Come they all play man. in the NBA. But, dude, Luka Doncic. Okay, hold on. First of all, he can get to the cup whenever he wants to. True. He scores baskets. He, he's got to work on his free throws. But other than that, and his three-point shooting. But other than that, he's a big-time player. He can make great passes. And I just don't think there's another player that can do what he does for a complete – to make his team better. My favorite player in the NBA is Steph Curry. Steph Curry, he will give the ball up at the start of possession and hope he gets it back to take the shot. But right now, 60% of the time, he's not getting the ball back to take the shot. So, therefore, he's not helping his team be better by taking control of the ball and scoring buckets. He's still playing the same system that won him championships, right? James Harden will take the ball down the court and says, I don't need to pass it. I'm going to score, right? There's other people. Steph plays the game the right way. If you look at the way basketball is supposed to be played, Luka does the same as James Harden more so, but he passes the ball a lot. So Luka's kind of like, I'm going to bring the ball down the court because I need the ball in my hands for us to win, but I'm going to make the right play majority of the time for us to win. Who's dictating, who's dictating play, controlling most of that 24, or who's just simply making the basket? Exactly. You know what? Anthony Davis is going to have a lot of fun with Luka when he becomes a Laker in four years' time from now. 
So Luke is not. Luke about. is not leaving Dallas. <laughs> they gonna find this pillow. This hey, hey, Mark, I tell you this. If Mark, you. Cuban, if Mark Cuban gonna give, if Mark Cuban gonna give uh, AJ Barrera a one day contract for two point six, you think he gonna let Luca leave the building? Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, oh, Luca. Hey, Luke is not leaving. Porzingis ain't leaving. And anything well, they I mean, want. My pick is LeBron. LeBron gonna win at thirty six. Shut up all the naysayers. All the way to back to backs. Just let y'all know what time it is. And yes, I'm thinking with my heart and not my head. It's funny, Devon. Where was he five years ago when the Lakers were like 20 and 62, winning championships in Miami? But there's just something <laughs> about there's just something about LeBron because if LeBron hasn't won it in the last couple of years, and it's the same argument you had with Kobe and you have with Mike sometimes. Yes, there's you can clearly see sometimes they're the best player in the NBA, but at the same time. They have to be getting stats that are this much better. LeBron's stats are not going to keep getting better. Anthony Davis is going to take more shots. So Anthony Davis is going to get more points. LeBron's going to get less, right? So LeBron's stats are going to start coming down some instead of going up where Kevin Durant's coming back. Kyrie's going to defer to him at times and Kevin Durant's going to get easy buckets. I just think we're Kevin, seeing that now, Nick. We're seeing yeah. that now with LeBron, right? LeBron has now deviated to others to take over because at the age he's at, he's not going to play 48 minutes every single night. He's going to play maybe 40 a night and but allow Anthony Davis. That's why you got that young whippersnapper. But, yeah, but, but no, that's, but that, that keeps him the, great, the but they won't keep him as an MVP. And, no, and no. the fact is, he'll you'll see the best LeBron in the playoffs. You're not going to see the best LeBron in the regular season anymore. But at least, but because of who he is. He's at least going to be in the conversation. 100%. He will be because of what he does. He makes everyone else better on the court. Who's winning the Super Bowl? Oh, man. Who's oh, in the Super oh, Bowl and who's oh, winning? Who's about, in it about, and who's winning it? How about this? Just say if it's going to be an NFC or AFC Super Bowl. Okay, but my pick is still alive. Who's in it and who's going to win? Everybody's pick is still alive. No, no, no. no, 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 no. Uh, Devon, you understand why? When I made my pick back in September – I said it would be the Chiefs and the Cowboys. <laughs> so part of your pick is still alive. <laughs> Cowboys are still alive, bro. I still ain't alive. even picked the Cowboys. Still alive, the Cowboys. 2020, I ain't picked the Cowboys. The Red, the red Rifle. He has got it going. <laughs> I said he go. would win more games than Dak, though, and he has. Yeah. I think Buffalo is getting in. Think I Buffalo? really do. I think – you know, I I could see a lot of like the AFC is so tight. It's going to be see a lot. Of, well, it's it, the, the toughest part now because um, um, it, it's crazy because I was talking to um a fr- some friends and they were like, and he coaches in the league and he was like, we're not even going to go for the number two seed this week. Like we're not even going for why we don't even get the buy. So right. like they're resting players and they're looking at it as almost just like they're on bye week. Yeah, it's almost like it's because it's really no incentive. So, like, back in the days where you can get the one by and then you go from – oh, speaking of, you know, KD and them down by a seven right now, Nick, just want to throw that out there to you while I'm just getting a little – That's three right shots. <laughs> to Atlanta, to Atlanta, too, by the way. Atlanta's, Atlanta's, good, team, Atlanta's good team. They they yeah, good and young. Oh, they running, too. But, but, but like I was saying, but I personally – I think that – the sleeper, the sleeper is going to be the Saints upsetting Green Bay in the finals. Three things, guys. You guys know that I always say there's three things for NFL teams in January. Health, 
defense and run game. Yep. Right? Yeah. Saints have that going for them right now. It was the Rams two weeks ago, but the Rams are now broken down. It's just, the NFL has become such a quarter-by-quarter quarter, uh, league because of COVID that we're talking the Rams are the team to watch out for, and now they're finished, mentally speaking, right? Yeah. Cardinals were the team to watch out for, they're finished. Who knows what they're going to do? So if you're talking about for the now, yeah, it, it can be the Saints, but who knows what's going to happen week 17. They might have like 10 injuries, and they're done for the year. So who knows? I mean, but that's, that's any team. If, if, if Patrick Mahomes go out – and, and break his ankle on a rock, they go from Super Bowl favorites to Super Bowl chumps too. Chad Henney's not winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> no. I, I, I will go on the biggest limb right now, and I'm going to make the, the call that everybody's going to be like, what? But I took Miami to go to the championship last year in, in, in basketball. So I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. I like... Baltimore versus Seattle. Yeah, Super Bowl. It, it can happen, right? But Baltimore is now getting healthier. They were, they were banged up for, for most of the season on defense. Yeah, yeah. and Lamar Jackson's like been Pitt- super healthy. Don't like Pittsburgh. Can't what? trust Can't trust Cleveland. I just – they're too unpredictable. For sure. And too inconsistent. In Isn't Pittsburgh. Lamar unpredictable and inconsistent when he got to drop back and throw that thing? Yeah, but – No, he's been better. They're on the way up at least, Yeah. right? Momentum. I, you know, Baltimore can get there. I really like Buffalo. If it wasn't for the Hail Mary, they'd have won their last nine games. And the Crowns will have lost the last six in a row. KC, right? But on the other side, I mean, there's a chance that if they get going, Tampa could make a run and get in. Their defense is pretty good. Yeah. Right? Those linebackers. Seattle can beat anybody. You know, and then you got the, you know, the Saints are pretty good. There's some there's some decent options on both sides. It's like the playoffs are going to be really good. Every team has a flaw going to into the playoffs. Every team, right? Tampa has had all these parts come together, but they can't figure out the offense, right? Darren made the point. They got the defense. Seattle, O-line's terrible. Russell Wilson's been sacked far too many times this year. Can they protect for him, right? We talk about Green Bay. Their run defense isn't that great. They're almost giving up five yards a clip. Can they improve on that when they go up against teams that can ground and pound you in, in cold weather. And again, it's all a matter of who's going to have that grounding pounding, Who's grounding pounding you in the in, NFC? In, in Rojo, NFC? Rojo and Fournette. Well, here's, here's, here's where I would have Carson? said. Oh, Rams, that's my point. Like, the Seattle Seahawks. It's, hey. not, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a weakness of mine if you can't exploit it. Yeah, I mean, that's just see, like everybody tells everybody tells KC all the time. Everybody goes against KC. They talk about just run the ball, run the ball. Spagnolo's defense can't stop the run. They they're inconsistent in the run, and then they try to get it out there and do it. And yeah, they stick to it, but for two behind, quarters. But you behind then, fourteen. You're then all fourteen. You gotta be patient enough. But you know so, what? You know what? Though Devon, the thing is, right? We, when I said the Rams two weeks ago were the team to watch out for because they had health, right? They had a three-headed monster for running backs. Cam Akers got banged up. Uh, Henderson is now out for who knows how long, and they have Malcolm Brown who's healthy. If you're talking they about, they don't run the ball anyway, though. They're but, not, they're, when, they, but when those three guys, but the, but, the, but, the, but the, the Rams, the Rams, their offense is such a pass first offense. They they throw for they throw they rather throw for four than to run for four. So like, for sure, but, but, so the but running back doesn't really come into a play. He's more he that's that's a and I uh, the reason I thought the Rams were good because. That defense and them boys was getting after it up front. Absolutely. That, that that's what drives a car is being a biased defensive lineman 
You look at any team when their defense plays well, you look at any team in the history of the league in, in big games, it has always come down to those simple things. And it's who can get out of the quarterback and who, sure. can, who, can, who can block. Look at a team who could be a Super Bowl contender, but can't, could, can't put any pressure on the quarterback. Tennessee, yep. right? They have 18 that's, sacks. That's the flaw. Yeah. They cannot put pressure on the quarterback. Hey, it's, it's sad because my boys are D-line coach there too. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I mean they've dealt with some problems with some injuries. For sure, they just they they can't and some guys being out, but they can't get pressure. The offense is good enough, top scoring offense in the league. But they're not Darren, they're not a threat if the defense can't. Get Darren, it. how much money did they invest on Clowney and Beasley? Right, Clowney's on IR. Beasley's now gone. yeah, Beasley's now trying to save his career in, in Las Vegas. Right. They had come into the season or come into the last two weeks, 18 sacks as a unit. And Mike Vrabel's DNA is what, guys? He's a defensive guy, right? Yeah. You guys know, Devontae, you said it before. If you can't get to the quarterback, it's game over for you. So, Devontae, actually, I want to ask you about this. Tennessee's my team. That's your new name, Devontae. You told Darren, you're supposed to be one of my friends. (laughs) I'm trying to give you some props, Clay. So... (laughs) Like you lost your train of thought. No, no, I'm just taking my medicine. <laughs> so last year when they upset Baltimore, they pushed KC and they went on their run. Dean Pease was running that defense, right? They don't have them. They don't have a defensive tired, coordinator. Yeah. So now Vrabel, a defensive guy, is handling the play calling duties. Is that something you can that you can handle as a head coach? Is that is that something that's missing in Tennessee? Um. I personally, I think you can handle it, but you also have to have a hell of a support system to handle it. You know I mean, like, I mean, like, but see, a lot of a lot of the perception is you guys don't like just from being the outside looking in. Like, if you be like, I'm going to give you an example. When you see Andy Reid talking to Eric Bieniemy on the headset, and they both looking at the call sheet. Eric Bieniemy might have called that play to Mahomes, but. I'm sure I know Andy Reid is in, in this situation on the pivotal third down. He's going to ask, Eric, what you thinking here? Oh, you're thinking these two plays? Oh, well, what about these two plays? And now they're having that conversation because you do have a huge advantage. And I, a lot of people mis, misconstrued this. You have a 40-second play card. Like, Nick, you've been on the sideline of a CFO game. Think yeah. about it if you had 40 seconds to decide a play, like to decipher what to do. I could talk to everybody on my fucking headset at that point. If you don't have to play in by if you don't have to play in by 14 seconds left on the play clock in the CFL, um, you're probably gonna have a bad play. Because you're not gonna make any checks or anything, like you win a 25 second. So with that much time, and you even look at like for example, the reason Belichick never names a DC and he gives a play calling duty is because the DC really designs and formulates the game plan. If the game plans work for us, we've implemented the whole week. Everybody knows, every coach should know it like the back of their hand of the why and why we're doing what we're doing and how we're trying to execute and what we're trying to exploit. So like, yeah, (laughs) you're on the podcast, (laughs) but, but most, but you have that input and you also have that, that you understand it. So when a different guy is calling the plays, like the system don't change, the flow just changes. But again, you have to look at the discrepancy in the players I can't name them offhand, but you got to look at the number of different people in the roster and that situation as well, because a free safety going down and a new free safety coming in, that changes your whole demeanor as far as your checks, getting people lined up and different type of things like that. 
right. where you don't really see that on paper. I look at, like, I know the offensive side better than I know the defensive side of the football. And I think as, as an offensive play caller, you've got a rhythm, right? You want to, you know, use the run to set up the pass. Use play at run to set up play action. You've got kind of the flow you want to go. But as a head coach calling plays, now this guy took a bad penalty. I got to go talk to him and address him. And no, you, are, no, that's no, where that's I go. That's, that's, where, that's where you say, Nick, Nick, go talk, Nick, go talk to you, go talk to your running back. He didn't got this dumb penalty. I ain't I, I'm calling the defense right now. Go talk to him. And you trust your coaches to handle that. That's how it goes. In, he, in terms of managing the people, you can kind of delegate that role and you stick to play calling. Yes. Uh, and if you look at Andy Reid, he actually is allowed Eric Bianami to make the calls without his input. He said it last year uh, yeah. at, at Media Week. He said, look. Eric Bieniemy, I've given him autonomy to make calls that I think will work, and I give him full confidence, and that's why he thinks he can he could be another coach from his tree that could succeed elsewhere as a head coach because he's now learned how to handle these situations and allocate roles. Eric Bieniemy, that is, uh, for his future NFL job, whenever that might come up, whether it's now or next year. Yeah, and, and as a and I think that's where you have to understand your coaching staff, right? Is um, you know, a lot of the coaches, they have to delegate all that stuff because everybody has something to focus on. The head coach has to focus on the challenges, the flow of the game, offensive, defensive, everything. The OC has to focus on, okay, if we're not moving the ball, how can we move the ball? Uh, defense coordinator, if we're not stopping them, how can we stop them? Like, what's what's next? But I think everybody else has to be your, your people managers and to be able to approach of people on the sidelines and be able to have conversations and make sure everybody's on the same accord, right? And, and once people are on the same accord to go out there and get it done, right? I don't, I don't remember, like, even when I played, I didn't have a lot of interaction with the OC unless it was having a conversation. Oklahoma just scored against Florida. Unless we're having a conversation about something uh, that was more than just an offensive thing or just a, a positional thing. Right. Right. And that was just because of my position in that on that team. It wasn't more of a um, just coming to me. Right. So more than that, you, you talk to your position coach. But yeah. Speaking of Oklahoma. Final four. Who you got winning it? I got Alabama Bama against uh... Ohio State. I think Ohio State beats Clemson because Justin Fields, to take his background, right, him and Trevor Lawrence grew up in the same area in Georgia. He's always been second to, to Lawrence, right? Number one recruit, number two recruit in, in, back in 2018, right? And then what happened? Lawrence got the better fields last year, right? Everywhere he's gone, even NFL uh, mock drafts at one point had Lawrence one, Fields two. I think there's a bit of a, a chip on the Ohio State Buckeyes shoulder to prove a point that, look, we're not going to lose to Clemson like we did last year. And I think they pull off the win and they play Alabama uh, next week in Miami. Clemson's out for this Ohio State? Has there been enough sample size? Clemson plays a good game. That's the exact, Darren. You hit the nail on the head, Darren. I was going to say, I can't. Ohio State had the opportunity to play a game and chose not to play the game because they felt that they would still get in the championship game even if they didn't play the game. Because of who they are. Because of who they are. It's name brand. Okay, number one, that's the number one. And then number two, everybody still says Ohio State haven't played their best game. They haven't played their best game. You you don't even have time to gel as a team when you don't really play that many games in a Six sense. Games, yeah. 
And then what usually always happens when those teams from the big, big come down, come down to the coast and play those boards at that speed, they get ran out of there. Like like a track team, but but Devon in defense of Ohio State, look, I I'm not a big I'm not a Big Ten guy at all. I don't like Big Ten football. But Urban Meyer laid down the roots. He said when he came up to Ohio State, this team is super slow. We need to go to Florida. We need to go to Bama. We need to go to Texas. Texas we need to go down yeah. to the Sun Belt. Recruit speed. So Ohio State's done a much better job nationally recruiting kids, uh, five star, four stars, even three stars that fit the profile of what a college football program is supposed to be a power juggernaut in all three phases. It didn't bother you that they barely got by Northwestern and they only won because they were far superior and they out-athleted them in the fourth quarter? No, because Northwestern, listen, I I, I said it on Twitter, Northwestern's got five-star scholars, Ohio State's got five-star athletes, right? What it was, they just muck it up. They were just mucking up the football game. They slowed it down to a perfection. Pat Fitzgerald had the game plan to a T. But where it came down to in the fourth quarter was this. The athletes, the ones who are conditioned to win those type of football games, knew what they had to do at that moment. Northwestern did not know how to finish off. Well, my, no, my question to you is, and I'm going to use your same words, that's exactly what's going to happen when they play in that game. You just gave the blueprint. They're going to get out athleted at the end of that game because they're gonna, at the end of the day, they're going to be like, this is happening again. So who you got? Mo, who you got? I, I got Bama against Ohio State. But who wins? Bama's going to win. Bama's, Bama's going to roll anybody. Who you got, Darren? Yeah, I think Bama beats Clemson. I do. Clay? I got Bama Clemson again. Yeah, I got Bama Clemson. And I got Bama winning one. this time. I didn't think I'd ever say it, but roll tide. I got my running back there, Jason McClellan. So, roll. Okay, Texas won yesterday against Colorado, though. Roll tide. Yes, they did. <laughs> So we've been on this, and I appreciate you guys for coming on here and wrapping up 2020. Before we wrap this up, looking ahead to 2021, what do you have going on, and what are you most looking forward to for 2021? Uh, Darren, you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. (laughs) I mean, it's still so unpredictable, right, what's going to happen in 2021. but in terms of sports, like I'm really interested to see what the leagues do now that it's not just a short bubble. So see how the NBA manages their season. I'm really curious. Obviously, we're curious about the Canadian Football League. We don't know if they're going to play or what the plan will be. I'd like to. I'm pretty optimistic that they're going to get on the field, even if it's by Labor Day. So I'm really curious to see where that goes. And then what I'm curious is to see how the fans respond, right? you know, and, and how do they support them, right? If they're getting right back, right back to playing, right? Right pick back to the six, stands. Oklahoma. What's that? I'm giving you the play-by-play. Pick six, Oklahoma. Oh, oh man, I'm a Florida guy. It's not good. Oh, four, oh, Oklahoma's up 14 nothing right now. Yeah, they're missing Uh-oh. the top four receivers anyway. They're not going to win. Oh, I thought Oklahoma was done when but they lose their first two. Yeah, they lost to Iowa State and in, in, uh, Kansas Texas. State. Yeah, right off the hop, and it wasn't. Go ahead, good. Darren. Sorry to cut so, you off. No, I, I, I mean – it's just more the same, right? Looking, looking to see how the, how people get creative and how we adapt in 2021, because I mean, it's, I don't anticipate things being a whole lot different than they were in 2020. I think just to uh, piggyback off of Darren's point, um, like we cover sports. Uh, we lost the privilege of COVID because we're not going to be able to go to locker rooms anymore. Uh, will we be allowed to go into arenas and stadiums to watch and cover sports that we once did? 
Uh, will fans come back, right? I mean, we might have a control number of fans that do go to um, sporting events. Uh, the question will be now is that are we going to be allowed to go to practices? And the way it's been and the way it's unfolding, hopefully we see something, maybe not now, maybe not in February or March, but maybe in April, May and beyond, that with the vaccine now in place, that we can eventually get back to some normalcy by the summer, if not early fall. And as Darren made the point before the CFL, like speaking to different spectrums, there's guys who believe, yeah, we're going to have a full season. But then you speak to others who say, not too sure, hold off on that. We might play as of Labor Day and have a 10-game season and a great cup champion with hopefully fans in the stands in Hamilton. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking forward to actually um, being able to just spend some time with my family without being on restrictions and being able to, like, enjoy my friends and, and actually – I, I, cause you know, I like pride myself on being a social butterfly. So like sometimes I'll be ready to damn, like I just gotta look at these. At least I got that new Xbox though. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at least, it, 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 but at least I, I'm looking forward to that. Like I'm looking forward to like, you know, all of us just getting together, like in you know, all the projects that we're working on and things like that we're doing to actually see those things to fruition. I'm looking, I'm excited about, you know, the prospect of, you know, the platform and things that we've been working on to actually grow, because I think all four of us that are on this call is going to be involved in a lot of other things together that's going to potentially grow into some huge things. And I'm just actually excited to see the, the footing that we've been able to do during COVID and all those avenues and, and, and those things, but to be able to have the footing and let up solid foundation throughout COVID that can propel us into like some big things and, and some big things and, game-changing things as far as putting each other and all of us on the map as far as a whole and as far as a group and culture. Yeah, I, I appreciate y'all. Uh, one quick thing, percentage of chance CFL return in 2021. Mo, you go first. 100% play? 100. I'm going to go uh, 93%. Ooh, I'm going low. Eight, yeah, like, like I'm going about 78, 80%. And we're saying play. We didn't say play a full season, play yeah. a quarter. Yeah, play. they'll play a season. I still they'll think it's 18. Something. Yeah, I, I think we're looking at 18. 10 to 12 games. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm looking at 10 to 12 uh, because I think that they – because it's all about predicated on how everything gets rolled out. And with the USA being so far behind in their vaccine rollout plan and their game plan and the operation that they had, they said that they wanted to have 20 million people vaccinated by a certain time and they've only got two by now. So, like, for, for to be that far behind in that situation, I don't think that it's going to get – because the way the way it looks now, they said it, the plan of the U.S. To, for them to vaccinate the whole U.S. would take 10 years the way they're going. <laughs> so here's the thing, though, guys, quickly on, on this point. Think about it right now for the CFL, right? The board is closed right now until further notice. If it reopens to allow CFL, Americans who are playing the CFL to come up, will they be allowed to play if they have no vaccination done? And if they don't, do they have to go back to the States? And if they do get to quarantine for two weeks to four, whatever it might be, there might be a lot of uh, tentacles to this whole vaccination here for Americans that they might have to do it as soon as possible if they can. So they're allowed to play in the CFL. But then do um, you, but then do you, do you, now you coming into the dilemma, we're about to have a whole other discussion because now you're coming to the dilemma. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm diabetic. But like, I'm, I'm just saying like, I'm a diabetic. I'm technically high risk. So I'm on first in line to get the vaccine. Sure. So you're telling me that, 
Joe Smo that can catch five touchdown passes should get the vaccine for me because he caught some board and catch some touchdowns. I think I think they should go in the I think they should go in the second wave. I think athlete, right. if you're a pro athlete, you should go in the second wave because there's so much depending on pro sports. I mean, when you look, what at do you mean? Betting, you're also you're also the least amount of risk. You also have the money and revenue of your own to take but, care of yourself and body. Like those are. But they provide, the, they provide the entertainment. And 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 I say and I was gonna ask this as a question. Should athletes, pro athletes, be able to or put it like this? Let's say if the owners choose to purchase a number of vaccines for their players, and they could purchase an allotment for each player to secure pro sports to keep going. And I know that people but are they purchasing it, are they purchasing or they get reimbursed by the government because technically the government said they were giving it everybody for free. So technically they're just buying themselves moving up to the front of the line. But yeah, here's so the thing though, Javon, right? If we're looking at the protocol, how it's supposed to be, right? Frontline workers, old folks home first too, right? Eventually right. comes to our age group by the fourth or fifth option. Yeah. I'm not the saying the question before is, the... will that be applied by the time the CFL season starts? That's my whole point. If yeah, it's that's not, right. then we're not, we're not sure. of, what do we do for Americans? who are in that lineup, but guess what? They may not get it until October, November. Are they going to be allowed to cross over to play right. a, a 10 to 12 game season? For sure. You know, and that's, that's going to be key. Be. How do you administer these, these vaccinations in an efficient but proper manner to make sure you give the ones who need it before anyone else does? If you're buying vaccines for your league and for your players from a source that wasn't going to come to your region, your country anyway, I'm okay with it, right? Right. Like if you're going to get 20 million vaccines in Canada and I can buy an extra 500,000 for the CFL, cool. But if that's going to come and take away the expense from of, the general population, then you right. can't. Then I'm not, then I'm not yeah, sure. Sure. agreed. Agreed. Like if we go buy, if we go buy from the, the distributor over in London that makes it over in the UK and the, and, and the government. It wasn't is coming cool. here anyway. It wasn't and, coming. And you, it's and it's you private healthcare, right? Right. I'm, exactly. I'm not paying to go to the doctor that you've been waiting six months to see. I'm paying and to go to you, a different doctor that you can never see anyway. Right. And as long as you're not getting made from the government to buy it for your benefit for of sure. the league, then we're okay at that point. And we also know how the owners are and people are with their pocketbooks and they really, perception-wise, they can say one thing and then behind closed doors they can be like, well, government, we bought them, and they're technically Canadian citizens, so we just spent the process to help you out. So just gonna get slide this receipt in here and uh... <laughs> my expense. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on for the 2020 wrap up of the first season of the Lulu Logic Podcast. Mo Khan, I appreciate you, my brother Derek Dupont. Another turn, man, and, man. and Devontae Clay Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> There you Devon. go. <laughs> Never. Devon, I appreciate you, brother. Hey, right, I'm going to go good. enjoy my wife's birthday and our anniversary. And uh, this is being. You, you, you about to put that out. You about to put that song. It's our anniversary. No, Tony, Tony, Tony. There's going on right now. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> All right, All right, guys. Have a wonderful New Year's. I hope everyone having a great Christmas. And we are out. Peace.